Hello. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. On a hot and muggy night, which is going to continue for uh, at least a week, is what we're uh, looking at here. Uh, 312-981-7200 is the phone number right here on WGN. And uh, we're here till 4 a.m. as we are every weeknight into the weekday morning, uh, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. Coming up, uh, our old friend Dave Gemelo is going to join us. He's the owner of the Green Mill, which is a legendary bar and and music venue uh, that's been around forever. And he's owned it for 34 years, which I just, I don't know why I'm astounded by that, that number. Um, and it's back in action. They're, they 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 reopened. And they've been uh, uh, doing some live music now. Um, the hours aren't as long. It's not a four o'clock bar um, at this point. But uh, you know, there's a, a, an incredible history with this with this bar. And uh, and Dave's a great guy. And and we just want to see how things are going over at the mill and uh, how they're going to continue with the music and all that all that stuff uh, during the pandemic here. So, but the Green Mill, legendary, legendary place. Um. So we are also going to talk about uh, annoying things that uh, tourists do in other countries. And have you ever done anything dumb when you were uh, <laughs> overseas or in another place? Um, Christopher Reeve's Superman cape is now at auction. What would something like that go for? I mean, that's probably going to go for a lot of money. Um, yeah, so we're also, you can, you can now kiss the Blarney Stone again in Ireland. Yeah, no. Especially now, I'm going to kiss the Blarney Stone. Now, I mean, it was you know we were we we went to the Blarney Stone when we were in Ireland. I looked at it, took a picture, did not kiss it because the locals told me some of the stuff that people do to it. <laughs> and yeah, so that's all coming up. Um, Dan Feinberg is going to join us in just a few minutes. Uh, you know, normally he joins us every other uh, Thursday to talk about television. But we lost a um, we lost a comedy giant uh, today. Uh, Carl Reiner passed away. I'm sure you've heard. He's a comedy legend. He created the Dick Van Dyke Show. He was 98. He had a nice long run, but still, um, we lost a legend. So uh, Dan's going to uh, just jump in here and talk a little bit about his career. Dan uh, Carl Reiner, the writer, producer, director, and actor who was part of Sid Caesar's legendary team and went on to create the Dick Van Dyke Show and direct several hit films passed away he was 98 he died of natural causes on monday night at his home in beverly hills uh his assistant confirmed to variety reiner father of filmmaker and activist rob reiner and the winner of nine emmy awards including five for the dick van dyke show his most popular films as a director included oh god starring george burns in 1977 the jerk with steve martin um in 79 all of me with uh, steve martin in the late timeline 1984 he directed a t- he directed like six steve martin movies um, Reiner remained in the public eye well into his 80s and 90s with roles in the popular Ocean's Eleven trio of films and on TV with recurring roles in sitcoms like Two and a Half Men and Hot in Cleveland. He also did voice work for Family Guy, American Dad, King of the Hill, and Bob's Burgers. Reiner first came to prominence as a regular cast member of Sid Caesar's Your Show of Shows, for which he won two Emmys in 1956 and 57 in the supporting category. 
He met Mel Brooks during this time with Caesar. The two went on to have a long-running friendship and comedy partnership with the recurring 2,000-year-old man sketches, which are just brilliant and were fully improvised. Before creating the CBS hit The Dick Van Dyke Show, on which he uh, appeared, uh, sometimes appeared, uh, Reiner and Show of Shows writer Mel Brooks worked up an elongated skit in which Reiner played straight man to uh, Brooks for the 2000 year old man uh, a 1961 recording of the skit was immediate an immediate hit and uh, spawned several several sequels the last of which was 1998's the 2000 year old man in the year 2000 that won the para grammy um yeah he he was uh i mean he was a legend just an absolute legend we have some audio here uh let's play a little bit of the 2000 year old man it's carl reiner and mel brooks so dumb and stupid. Sir. We didn't know who was a lady. <laughs> but they were. The, they was with us. We but didn't know who they were. <laughs> we didn't know who was the you, ladies and who was fellas. You, you thought know? it was they were just different type of yes, fellas. Yes, stronger or smaller or yeah, softer. The softer ones, I think, were ladies all the time. <laughs> what, what, what? How did you find out that they cute, were ladies? A cute fat guy could who could have mistaken him for a lady. You know? Soft and cute. Who was the person who discovered the female? Bernie. <laughs> who was Bernie? Bernie, one of the first leaders of the of our group. And he discovered the female. Yes. How did that happen? He How said, did it come "Hey, to pass? there's there's ladies here." <laughs> I'm very interested to find out how Bernie discovered the woman. Well, he. How did he, it come to pass? He one morning he got up smiling. So <laughs> <laughs> well, he said. I think there's ladies here. <laughs> so I said, what do you mean, you know? So he said, because in the night, I was thrilled and delighted, see? <laughs> so then he went into such a story that uh, it's hundreds of years later, I still blushed. <laughs> such great stuff, man. Uh, here's what Mel Brooks said about uh, Carl Reiner. Carl was a giant, unmatched in his contributions to entertainment. He created comedy gems like the Dick Van Dyke Show, The Jerk, and Where's Papa. I met him in 1950 when he joined Sid Caesar on your show of shows, and we've been best friends ever since. I loved him. When we were doing the 2,000-year-old man together, there was no better straight man in the world. So whether he wrote or performed or he was just your best friend, nobody could do it better. He'll be greatly missed. A tired cliche in times like this, but in Carl Reiner's case, it's absolutely true. He will be greatly missed. Um, we'll play a little bit of Carl Reiner on uh, on Johnny Carson. This is from 1987. There's a little Carl Reiner on uh, the Carson Show. You're possessed of the devil. I feel so good. <laughs> St. Vitus Dance. You know, I listened to that band. The last time I was out, that band inspired me. And you did a little dance the last time you were here. And I was so happy. I didn't have a heart attack. (laughs) No, when you get to be my age, you lose certain faculties. You lose hair. You lose your ability to remember people's names. Uh, (laughs) uh, Mies, Mies. But that's a lot of movement. Yes. That's tough. So... I'm now at the point, by the way, I'm at the point in my life where it was, hey, a lot of things were going downhill. A lot of things. The, the, the ability to dance for two and a half minutes without puffing. Uh, Would you like to take a break? Dom DeLuise does something hilarious in his act. Dom DeLuise does a dance 
And then he, no, give me the microphone. And then he's, he stands off stage for a minute. After he finishes the dance, he goes. <laughs> oh man all right um kyle reiner uh, carl reiner not only directed the jerk but he also had a brief appearance in it um so uh we're gonna we're, we're gonna play that in a little bit but uh, we also have uh, him uh talking about uh, and in oceans 11 and the way you look tonight all right Hey, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio. We're here till 4 o'clock. Uh, we have a, a, a round of Know Your Onion that we're going to play later on. We usually do that. We do that at uh, 3.30 every Wednesday morning, and that's where Tom will quiz you um, um, on whether or not you know the difference between a real news headline or a headline from the satirical uh, comedy news uh, paper, The Onion, and uh, you win prizes. Um, as we were talking about before... Um, the break. Uh, Carl Reiner passed away, 98 years old. Nice long run, but still a comedy legend. We've lost a comedy legend. Um, and uh, we wanted to bring in Dan Feinberg. Dan Feinberg um, from The Hollywood Reporter joins us uh, every couple of weeks on Thursday nights to talk TV. But he made it a special appearance because this guy was, a, you know, Carl Reiner was a television legend. So we just want to talk a little bit about his career and get Dan's thoughts on it. Hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. Hey. So, I mean, you know, he had a nice long run, 98 years old, but still, uh, we, we lost a giant uh, in the industry. <laughs> we did, and but nice long run, and, I mean, on the quality of life level, he was sharp as heck yeah. the entire way through. I mean, never wavered. Uh, his Twitter feed was one of the best going uh, he was smart and funny and connected and angry about our world until the very, very end. And honestly, the, the sad thing that, that several people mentioned uh, to me today was that he really, really wanted to vote in November. So that that is a, a subject of, of regret. But otherwise, I, I mean, as, as I said in my tribute on The Hollywood Reporter, that lots of people we sort of throw around iconic or legendary or whatever. But... Yeah, with Carl Reiner, it was completely and totally appropriate, and maybe even an understatement. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, you know, what, if he had just only created um, the Dick Van Dyke Show, you know what I mean? Just if that was the only thing he did, then it would just be it would just be an inc- incredible uh, a contribution. Or if he had just made a number of comedy recordings with Mel Brooks over the years. <laughs> yeah. If, if, it, if they had just been the 2,000-year-old man and whatever other Steve Allen show bits between the two of them and, you know, being friendly and all of that, we would have looked at, at Brooks and Reiner as being like, uh, like Nichols and May or, you know, so many of those other super couples as they were. And... But yeah, he he had five different careers in which he was the best at what he did, which is pretty darned amazing and, and speaks to his talent, his longevity, the people he worked with, all of that. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the beginning uh, for uh, uh, working with Sid Caesar on your show of shows. I mean, obviously, that's a you know such a legendary show and so many amazing comedy voices came out of that show. Let's talk a little bit about that. 
Oh, it's uh, remarkable. You go back and look at the at the writing staff that Sid Caesar put together for those shows over the years, and uh, you know your show of shows. The writing staff included. Carl Reiner, Mel Brooks, Neil Simon. Well, I mean, come on. That's, you know, that's, that's 50 years of comic voices right there. And then you went on, he went on the Caesar's Hour, which was a show, another uh, Sid Caesar show where it was, again, Brooks, Simon, Reiner, but also Woody Allen, Larry Gelbart. I, I just insane writing staff. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and it's not like this doesn't happen now. If you look at the writing staff of the vintage David Letterman shows over the years, they read like, uh, you know, sitcom breeding grounds. Or if you go back and look at The Simpsons or SNL, you know, good good writers support good writers and breed good writing. Uh, but goodness gracious, having a show on which Carl Reiner, Mel Brooks, Neil Simon, Woody Allen and Larry Gelbart all wrote together. That's you. You can't do better than that. It's, it's impossible. Yeah. No, it's legendary. It's absolutely legendary. And then uh, you know the, the 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 play came from that. Laughter on the twenty third floor um, was based upon the uh, uh, upon that group. No, and so and so much of what he did, so much of what they all did, because they all worked together. That's the. I mean, to me, more than anything, that's the amazing thing. Is all is how is the lives that all of these writers had. I mean, so many of them writing into their 80s, writing into their 90s. Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner, best friends to this day. You know, his last tweets yesterday were about Mel Brooks's birthday, which, you know, it's which is both beautiful and heartbreaking. It's, it's yeah. both of those two things. But if you have a best friend who has been your everything for 60-plus years, that's, that's, that's a pretty good thing. That's, yeah. that's just... That's just what it is. You, you can't you can't do much better than that. Yeah. And and uh, what what was the be, what was the the beginning of the two thousand year old man? Where did that start? Oh God, I think it was on the Steve Allen show. I believe Steve I think Allen that show. Was, yeah. uh, someone could definitely prove me wrong, but yeah, I think and he was doing that at roughly the same time as he was starting with the Dick Van Dyke show, which famously he appeared in the original pilot, and as as the lore goes, uh, the some, but some executive somewhere said too Jewish, and so it became Dick Van Dyke instead. And uh, instead, he played Alan Brady, which was a legendary role as well. And uh, you know, there's that's just a show that that revolutionized the format. Another show in which almost everybody who worked on it was iconic in their own ways, and a show that shaped the rhythms of the family comedy on television and obviously, you know, gave us Mary Tyler Moore, et cetera, et cetera. Just so much early influence. Yeah. Uh, just remarkable. And I, I loved him as Alan Brady. I, I love every time he made an appearance as Alan Brady, it was just gold. I mean, just, just great. I haven't even checked today to see if, uh, if or where Dick Van Dyke show is actually uh, streaming. I feel like it ought to be, but, so many of these things kind of go fallow and, you know, they're hard to find. I know that a lot of people were posting a lot of great clips from the vintage variety shows today. And some of those, you know, some of those just hold up so well. And all of the 2000 year old man stuff that people were passing around on Twitter and whatnot today, it, you know, it's just, it's just such spectacular writing. And, you know, Carl Reiner was possibly the greatest straight man ever or one of yeah. and Mel Brooks is hilarious you know I, I'm sure that some people would have other great straight men 
who they would want to bring up as well. But, you know, just just so fresh, you know, not not in any way dated. And that's that's ridiculous. You can't you, you can't do that. You, you just can't. We we just played a clip before we got you on the before we got you on the phone here, um, Dan. We just played a couple of minutes from a two thousand year old man uh sketch and it's hilarious. I mean it's hilarious. it's it's two thousand twenty and it's still absolutely hilarious. You know, the, the people who are looks like a lot of the Dick Van Dyke show, possibly all of it. It's on Hulu. God, that's oh, a thing to do uh this weekend. It's, there you go. Just to, just to settle in and watch God, it looks like the entire thing might be on there. That's <laughs> wow, there you go. That would be a weekend. So we've got, yeah, no, uh, Dick Van Dyke on Hulu. That that seems like a plan. <laughs> can, can, can watch can watch Hamilton on Disney Plus and then spend the rest of the weekend watching the Dick Van Dyke show yeah. episodes. That yeah. would be. Those are some. I mean that that show. That would be a weekend. Yeah, uh, that show. I I mean I I was when I was a kid and I started watching the Dick Van Dyke show. I just um. I adored it, and I loved. I mean, obviously, I love Dick Van Dyke, and I love Mary Tyler Moore, and everybody that was involved in it, and Maury Amsterdam. Um, and I, and uh, you know, it was just, just, a, just an iconic and classic show. And you know, I never really realized that you know until I was until I got older that the guy who played Alan Brady created it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, he was he was he was a great funny actor and a. You know, and he only got better as he went along because his timing never went anywhere. His timing never became anything other than impeccable. Same with Mel Brooks, who can still make you laugh today. So, yeah. you know, the, the the greats are the greats for a reason. There's That's absolutely true. Okay. Uh, Dan, hang on, okay? Sure. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more and celebrate the career of the one and only Carl Reiner. We lost him. 98 years old. It's a nice run, but he's still... You know, it's a big it's a big loss to the world of comedy and the world of entertainment and the world in general. Um, a, a comedy legend we've lost, and we're going to talk more about him on 720 WGN. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio. We're here until 4, as we are every week night into the weekday morning. Uh, 312-981-7200 is our phone number. Uh, coming up at midnight, Dave Gemelo is going to join us. He's the owner of the Green Mill, legendary bar here on the, in the Uptown neighborhood in Chicago. Um, they just uh, reopened uh, and are doing live music, and we'll talk about how that's going and uh, the history of the bar itself. Um, we're also going to talk about uh, annoying things that tourists do when they're in other countries, and uh, and uh, what annoying things did you do? Have you ever done while you were traveling? Um, and also, Christopher Reeve's Superman cape is now at auction, and we'll have a round of Know Your Onion. And um, every uh, morning at 2.30 on the show, every uh, morning, we play back some classic Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson show on Antenna TV uh, every night. And uh, we're going to play back a bit. Ronald Reagan did with Who's On First on the on the Johnny Carson show. So that's going to be classic Carson clip that we play back. Um, Carl Reiner, uh, as you no doubt uh, uh, know, uh, Carl Reiner passed away. He was 98 years old, a legendary, um, a legendary comedic genius and uh, a, a, a writer, a producer, a director, an actor, uh, everything. And uh, we thought we would get Dan Feinberg, our TV guy from The Hollywood Reporter, to jump in here and uh, and chat about him. Uh, uh, hey, Dan. Now, hey, Nick. I did not follow him on Twitter. Tell me about his Twitter account. It was exactly it was exactly what you would expect Carl Reiner's Twitter account to be, except 
you wouldn't have expected so many of the individual eccentricities of it. So it was an awful lot of uh, political stuff. He, he was he was not a fan of our current president, mm-hmm. and uh, and he was he was blasting our, our current president nonstop for for four years on Twitter aggressively, and that was a key part of it. There was a lot of it that was recollections. There was a lot of it that was paying tribute to his friends, including uh, Mel Brooks, including Norman Lear, you know, all, all people who also deserve the legendary and iconic status, and then some. Yeah. Uh, and then there were all of the strange things that he liked, which caused people to sh- uh, scratch their heads. Like, for example, he was a huge fan of the Sandra Bullock movie, The Nest. He <laughs> tweeted about it like a dozen times. It was like his go-to therapy movie. No clue why. Uh, he was a huge fan of the Jennifer Lopez revenge thriller Enough. He tweeted about that multiple times over the years and how great Jennifer Lopez was in that. Uh, so there, there, were these, there were these running jokes that weren't really jokes because I don't know that there was ever any point at which anyone thought he was making a joke about the net. He simply really, really liked the net. Yeah. I don't know why, but he did. And, you know, what are any of us trying to do on Twitter other than giving a kind of unvarnished kind of snapshot into what's happening in our brains at any given moment? And a couple times per year, what was going on in Carl Reiner's brain was that he really wanted to watch the net. And I find that <laughs> somewhat reassuring because... Who amongst us does not have that movie for us? That everyone else in the world is under the mistaken impression that it's trash. Yeah. But, you know, Carl Reiner knew better on that one. And yeah. so I think we should all probably reevaluate the net this weekend in yeah. addition to uh <laughs> in addition to watching Dick Van Dyke reruns. <laughs> I just love the fact that Rob that Carl Reiner loved the net. I don't know, there's just something really wonderful about that. That's oh, so funny. It, it was it was one of the more random things really on Twitter in general, because almost any time he would tweet about the net, half of you know Twitter would retweet <laughs> him and be like, oh my God, is he making a joke? And everyone who actually followed him or had paid any attention over there would be like, no, that's, that's just, that's the thing he likes. Yeah. Why not? That's so funny. That's so funny. Uh, here's Kathy on WGN. Hi, Kathy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel badly for Mel Brooks, because if you watch the... Uh, comedians in cars getting coffee uh, with Jerry uh, Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. He visited them, and they would. I literally think they met for dinner every night. They had carry out, and Jerry brought the food in that night. And they sat there with their TV tables uh, in the family room yeah. watching, yeah. you know, TV at with Mel uh, Mel Brooks's house. And Mel, there was like a little Chinese uh, maid cleaning up after them, but. They were fast friends, so I really feel badly for Mel Brooks, you know, given his wife, Ann Bancroft, has already died, and, yeah. um, you know, I'm sure he's quite not not happy about it. So. Yeah, yeah. No, they were... They were it, Can you it, imagine it, having those three comedians in your family room for, no, for dinner, for take No, I can't. I can't even imagine that. In, in this, their, <laughs> their relationship reminds me of the, of the Don Rickles-Bob Newhart relationship. Um, you know, how close, how close they were. And now that Rickles is gone too, you know. Um, but yeah, that 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 that's that's those two those two friendships are are you know legendary comedians, and it's wonderful to know that they would hang out all 
the time, and they were very, very close. Apparently, they would watch. Apparently, they would watch Jeopardy every night. That was apparently their thing. Is they that... would, you know, they would talk about their day and they would reminisce about old times. But apparently, they would watch Jeopardy. That was their. That was a so... big thing. Yeah, uh, Kathy, thanks for the call. Okay. Okay. There you go. Uh, Dan, let's let's talk about his film career as a director. Um, you know, obviously his collaborations with uh, with Steve Martin were legendary, and uh, and he became yeah he became a great filmmaker and a great filmmaker who loved the movies and and you know you you can't find a more pure evocation of love for the movies than Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, which yeah. is just one of the great sort of inside Hollywood meta commentaries on the movies and, and a rather astounding technical achievement. Absolutely. As well. Especially, you, especially at that it. time. I mean, that was like the, was it 80, 1981 or something like that when that film came out? Uh, yeah, 82. 82. I mean, you, you know, that kind of stuff wasn't done back then. Uh, you know, now you do it now, now it's done all the time, but basically for people who don't know, have not seen dead men don't, don't wear plaid. It's a private eye movie with uh, with Steve Martin, where they um, intercut scenes from classic old black and white movies seamlessly uh, throughout the entire throughout the entire film. And uh, and it was a, it was a, it was just a great achievement, a great directorial achievement for 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 Reiner. And a, and a good part for uh, for Steve Martin. Not a, not quite as good a part for Steve Martin as All of Me, which I think is probably Steve Martin's career peak performance I agree I totally I agree all of me which also was directed by Carl Reiner um with uh, Lily Tomlin and and Steve Martin Steve Martin is amazing in that movie and it's hilarious and Lily Tomlin is also yes. wonderful Lily, in that movie as well yeah. but yeah as uh, you know I was just looking at it and it's it's 1979 to 1984 he did the jerk dead men with the wear plaid the man with two brains and all of me consecutively and that's <laughs> That's just a that's just a great round of movies. That's, that's an incredible. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like I, I don't I don't know if it's quite on the level as uh you know, that Mel Brooks run in the early seventies. Yeah. Where he had Young Frankenstein Young Frankenstein Blazing Saddles, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But yeah, that's, what's it, that's what's a pretty it, special run. You know what's amazing to me is that Young Frank I don't know, you know, people re- go back and just think about this for a second. Young Frankenstein and uh, Blazing Saddles came out in the same year. I mean, that's just—I mean, that's ridiculous. Like two of the greatest film comedies of all time came out in the same year by the same directed by the same, and written and directed by the same guy. Yeah, that is that is a year. You you and that was also, I believe, the same year that Francis Ford Coppola had both uh, Godfather Two and the conversation. Yeah, you're right. Because it was, it was yeah, it was seventy four, nineteen seventy four. Yeah. So, so if you want to look at two directors at the at the absolute peak of their talents, that, yeah. that would be a good snapshot. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's an amazing four episode run, and and you know just for me growing up in the eighties, uh, periodically having access to HBO, um, those movies, Summer Rental and Summer School, those were movies that were on constantly right. on HBO in the mid to late eighties, and I definitely must have watched Summer School about. A thousand times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Summer so. school. I, I I haven't seen summer school in years. Mark Harmon um, 
was uh, I, was the star I of that? Definitely haven't watched, I definitely haven't watched it since I was probably about 15, but at the time, it seemed like the coolest movie ever. And at the time, Mark Harmon seemed like the coolest actor ever. And I really have to assume that a lot of that is credited to Carl Reiner. Yeah. Probably, he, probably it, Mark Harmon's not actually the coolest man ever. <laughs> um, and also, the very uh, crazy movie, Where's Papa? I, I remember... When that film came out, my parents saw it, and obviously I, I was too young to see it with them, or at least they thought so. But when I got around to watching it, when I finally got around to watching it, I just thought it was one of the craziest movies I've ever seen. And uh, Carl Reiner, you know, did a did a wonderful job with it. I have only seen that one in bits and pieces, and one of these days I I will need to see the whole thing. But yeah, so there was that. There was also Oh God, of course, which. You know, whether or not Old God holds up, at the time it was a pretty massive movie. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So you, you did you did get to, how many times, you've interviewed him, you've interviewed Carl Reiner, you were lucky enough to interview him. How many times have you, did you get to interview him? Only once. Uh, I interviewed him for some, I was a Turner Classic Movies Film Festival in Los Angeles. They were screening, uh, they were screening basically Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid and a couple other movies and it was just a and it was just a pleasure to chat with him just one of those opportunities where you go okay this was this was a cool thing i got to do for 25 to 30 minutes yeah yeah and what did you what kind of ground did you cover uh when you talked to him we, we, we talked about the technological advances of dead men don't wear plaid we talked about uh and and sort of how ahead of its time it was and he is still very proud of that movie as he would be. And we talked about his, we talked about his whole career and just looking back on it. And, uh, you know, he's, he's been happy to talk about himself for years and he has been, you reach a certain point in your life. And if you're of that status, you're kind of going from tribute to tribute, celebration to celebration. He was, he came to the TCA press tour a couple times. We, uh, I'm trying to think of what he would have, he was at the he was there for a couple times for PBS overview shows. I'm pretty sure he was there for Father of the Pride, an animated show he voiced on. Uh, there was one year that he and Rosemary came to the TCA Awards because I think we were giving um, I think we were giving the Dick Van Dyke Show a Heritage Award. Oh yeah, and so they both they both obviously got extended standing ovations. Of course, he. I think he I always got the feeling that he enjoyed those moments as much as one possibly could. Some people are shy and retiring in those moments. He always was full of quips. He always enjoyed the adulation, adulation that I saw. You know, who, who knows what's actually going on in anyone's head if they'd rather be at home watching Jeopardy with Mel Brooks huh. in a room with a group of television critics. Who could blame them for that? But no, he he was at a point in his career where he was being worshipped everywhere he went, and that's that's not a bad place to yeah. get to. And, you know, I, I asked him in the interview whether he, when he looks back at his stuff, um, whether he was more critical of his work as a writer, director, and an actor, and he told me, I didn't do so many things that I'm not proud of. He, he no. said he wasn't embarrassed about any of it, and uh, he, he said that he'd said it a number of times, but the quote was, if I go tomorrow, I've had nothing but fun in life, Man, and I a, just love that quote. That's a great so quote much. and such a great perspective. Um, 
Uh, we lost a great one, uh, Dan. Thank you so much for uh, for sharing your thoughts and uh, and all that good stuff. And we'll talk to you uh, for your next regular visit. Okay, Dan. Talk to you next week. Okay, next. buddy. Take care. Dan Feinberg, uh, TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter. We wanted to get his perspective on losing a great, a giant, uh, Carl Reiner. Um, and uh, we got a, a little more audio to play from from some Carl Reiner stuff. And the phone lines are open. If you want to jump in, your favorite Carl Reiner stuff, um, 312-981-7200. I mean, he lived a nice, long life all the way to 98. That's a good run, man. But still, it hurts um, because, you know, the, the influence that that man had on so many others and the contributions that he made uh, to the entertainment world and to comedy um, are, are massive. So, uh, And if you want to jump in, uh, your thoughts and your memories of Carl Reiner, 312-981-7200. More coming up on WGN. All right. Hello, Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN. Hi, we're live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. Coming up after midnight, our old friend uh, Dave Gemelo is going to join us. He's the owner of the legendary Green Mill in Uptown. Uh, they just reopened again uh, after being shut down because of the pandemic uh, with special rules. And we'll talk about what's uh, what's going on at the mill and the history uh, of the mill as well. And the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom here on WGN. Um, we're talking about Carl Reiner. Carl Reiner passed away. He was 98 years old, a comedic legend. Um, and we got a couple more uh, quick uh, clips here to play. Carl Reiner not only directed uh, the Steve Martin movie, The Jerk, but he made a, he had a very hilarious uh, uh, cameo in it. And we have a little audio from The, from the Let Jerk. Let me show you a clip from my latest film where my faulty depth perception kept me from yelling cut at the proper time. Cut! If I had yelled cut on time, those actors would be alive today. (laughs) You know, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I I need to bust that one out again. And he was also, uh, you know, later in his career, he starred in all the Oceans movies. Um, and he was great in those movies. Just great. So here's a little clip from him uh, in uh, Oceans 11, Carl Reiner. I saw you at the paddock before the second race outside the men's room when I placed my bet. I saw you before you even got up this morning. How you been, son? Never better. What's with the orange? My doctor says I need vitamins. So why don't you take vitamins? You come here to give me a physical? (laughs) Oh, Carl Reiner. Um, And a lot of celebrities remembered him. We're going to hear some of those. They tweeted out about him and, 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 you know, talked about... uh, you know uh, his career and stuff, and so we'll hear from uh, from some celebrities here. It's James on WGN. Hi, James. Yeah, I okay. If I remember correctly, he was he had a bit part in Sleepless in Seattle. I don't remember. I've only seen that movie. Maybe I've, I might I've find only... his wife in it, but I'm not. I'm I'm trying to remember that that one that that restaurant scene. Yeah, uh, maybe like, I'm, I'm thinking of his wife in that one. Well, maybe. I don't remember uh, James uh, because. You know, I don't like that movie, and I only saw it once. James, you might be thinking of Rob Reiner, his oh, son. Oh, Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner is in Sleepless in Seattle. So it might, it's Rob yeah. Reiner. It's his son, Rob. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, that makes sense, because Nora Ephron made uh, Sleepless in Seattle, and she did, uh, you know, of course, When Harry Met Sally. You know, she wrote When, when Harry Met Sally, which, of course, Rob Reiner directed. 
Um, all right, thanks, James. Here's Elizabeth on WGN. Go ahead, Elizabeth. On Monday, October 6, 1997, I was in the audience for Jay Leno's um, program for Jenny Carson's that time. And guess who was on? Carl Reiner, I would guess. Yes. They did the thousand, uh, 2,000 year old man, and I was in seventh heaven. Even though I was way up in the angel seats, I enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah. So did everybody else. Yeah, well, that's got to be pretty special to see that live. That's got to be amazing. And I got to save the ticket for it. I have it up on my wall. There you go. Okay, Elizabeth, thanks for the memory. You're welcome. Okay, take care. Good night. 2,000 year old man. Funny every time. Every time. And, and 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 seriously, as as Dan Feinberg mentioned, uh, one of the best, if not the best, straight men ever, Carl Reiner. Seriously, I mean, maybe second only to Dean Martin. That would be the you know. But those are quintessential. Straight man is very important. We should uh, look up some stuff on the internet with, the, with who the best straight men are, because it's a tough oh. job. <laughs> And and to make sure we've got the definition out there, it's the guy who has to stay not laughing. Oh yeah, yeah no no the, no. He feeds he feeds the the guy the other the, the, the other person. He feeds the lines, and and the other guy gets most of the laughs, if not all of the laughs. But it doesn't work without the straight man. Um, Billy Crystal said, "Hilarious, brilliant, and always a gentleman. My relationship with him will always be cherished." He's a hero to me, and all of us in comedy have lost a giant. All of my love to Rob and the family. He tweeted, and he posted a picture of himself with Carl Reiner. Uh, Ed Asner said, "Very sad to awake to this to, to, to awake to the news that Carl Reiner has passed. There will forever be only one of him. May his memory be forever blessed. He leaves us so much laughter. My heart goes out to Rob Reiner and the entire Reiner family." Alan Alda shared a picture of himself with Reiner. And said, my friend Carl Reiner died last night. His talent will live on for a long time. And the loss of his kindness and decency leaves a hole in our hearts. We love you, Carl. Tracy's on WGN on 720 WGN. Hi, hi, Tracy. Hi, hi Nick. Um, I remember uh, Carl Reiner from um, your show of shows yeah. with Sid Caesar, where he was straight man to Sid Caesar. Yep. And uh, that was the original Saturday Night Live. And they did the craziest skits. Have you ever seen any? Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Clips? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, of course. I've seen, I've seen yeah. tons of your show of shows. It's a, yeah. a great I was show. Sure, but that was hysterical. I mean, yeah. I used to fall off my chair. I, I still think it was the funniest. Uh, then they were, they were wild. So. It's brilliant but stuff. Yeah. Really, really yeah. funny. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Never stopped. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Tracy. Bye. Yep. Um. Steve Martin thanked Reiner and said goodbye uh, to the greatest mentor in movies and in life. Good place and park recreate park parks and rec uh, creator Michael Schur said the Dick Van Dyke Show debuted in 1961. It's still funny and that's a magic trick. Rest in peace, Carl Reiner, one of the greatest comedy magicians of all time. Rosanna Arquette responded to uh, Rob Reiner's tweet about his father's death. I am so sad for your loss, Rob. I met him some years ago. He was kind and funny, and he made us laugh so much. And that's a gift, she said. William Shatner says condolences to the family of Carl Reiner from the writer's room of Sid Caesar to creating those times for the Dick Van Dyke show. Carl was a master at his craft. I knew him only peripherally, but it was a pleasure to have known him. Mia Farrow uh, recalled the unforgettable time that she met him. 
We lost a person who gave us great times and countless laughs. He was brilliant and kind. I met him only once, but I will never forget his gentle thoughtfulness. Um, he was with us through the good times and the hard times. Thank you, Carl Reiner, and his memory will be a blessing. You know what he used to do before he would eat breakfast? No. He would read the obituaries. Oh. He says, I'd read the obituaries, and if I wasn't in them, I'd have breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember that yeah. quote from yeah. some time ago. So it's a beautiful sentiment, and, I, and that's that's what it's all about is yeah. you get up, you, you're still alive, and you go on with yourself, yeah. you know? Yeah. Boy, he was something. Um, the uh, the Wire and Treme actor Wendell uh, Pierce, uh, that would be Bunk, said uh, he was a legend. Thank you, sir. Rest in peace. Stephen Colbert shared a photo of uh, him, of a young Reiner calling him the greatest. Karate Kid Ralph Macchio said he had a full life and an iconic legacy he's left behind. Uh, here's Sheila on WGN. Hi, Sheila. Hi. Um, I heard um, about Carl Reiner. I'm really sad he's gone. But one of my favorite ones is when he's on Dick Van Dyke's show. And he has um, Rob's wife, Laura, to come come to the show. And then they find out that um, Alan Brady wears a toupee. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that <laughs> was a, that, that, yeah. And the whole world finds out. Yeah. We didn't know him, even on the show. I didn't know he wore a toupee. Yeah. But um, that was really funny. Yeah, he's no, they, that was a that was a running that was a running joke on the show the the the, <laughs> the, the toupee stuff with Alan Brady. I mean, he had a whole collection of them. He, exactly. He, he had he had like the foam heads with all the with all the toupees <laughs> on his desk. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. It was great. All right, Sheila, thank you. You have a good one. Okay, take care. There's Mel on WGNI. Mel. Yeah, hi guys. Uh, great show. Thanks, Nick. Back to Tracy's call with uh, your show of shows. Uh, we can't forget Imogene Coca. She was also a big part of that. Uh, with uh, my God, I'm going back to the early fifties. Well, Maybe. Imogene Coca was one of the funniest women that ever lived. Yeah, absolutely, without question, one of the funniest women that ever lived. Those big bulging brown eyes. Oh God, it was amazing. And and also, you know, years and years later, I mean, she did all that great work. But years and years later, she was in National Lampoon's Vacation. She was hysterical in that movie. Yeah. So. All right, Mel. Thank you. Pleasure, Nick. Okay, buddy. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, rest in peace, uh, 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 Carl Reiner. And but he left us behind a ton of stuff. And Dan Feinberg telling us that Dick Van Dyke, all of it is available on Hulu. There's your weekend. <laughs> all right, uh, we uh, got the news coming up, and then uh, uh, Dave Gemelo, the owner of the Green Mill, is going to join us. Sam watches the ships that go sailing. All right. Hello, rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. July 1st, rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. Uh, how is everyone? We are live in the Skyline studio here uh, until 4 o'clock. Coming up, we have another round of Know Your Onion. That's where we get two contestants on the line. They each play around. Tom will read a news headline, and you have to figure out whether it's real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, the fact that you can kiss the Blarney Stone again now. Christopher Reeves' Superman cape is now at auction. Um, and also annoying things that tourists do in other countries. And tourists that come to Chicago, what bugs you about them? <laughs> 312-981-7200 is the phone number. That's the Team Hawkberg phone line. So uh, as we enter phase four, as we've entered phase four, bars and restaurants are opening. 
um, you know, they can't go to full capacity and there are rules and social distancing and mask wearing and all that stuff. So it's a different time, but things are starting to open up. One of the most legendary bars in this city um, is in the Uptown neighborhood, and it's, of course, the Green Mill, which hosts incredible uh, jazz, live music, uh, and it's got an, an incredible history. Dave Gemelo is the owner of the Green Mill, and we wanted to talk to, to, to Dave about the, the, the mill in general and the history of it and what it's like to, to slowly open again. Uh, Dave, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, Nick. How are you? Good. You know, I've been to your bar a couple times. Yeah, I heard that. I told Nicole I was going to do this thing, and she says, well, is that Nick? Uh, he has, like, a, a long last name or three syllables or something. I go, yeah. She goes, oh, he comes in here. Yeah. I mean, I have, He's I, a nice guy. I stopped, I stopped, I stopped drinking uh, a, a while ago, Dave, so I haven't been in the bar in a long yeah. time, but there was a period of time when I was kind of there after 2 a.m. every night. <laughs> oh, my man. Thank you. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the Green Mill. I mean, it's a historic bar. Um, and we, we, uh, how far back does it date? 1907. 1907. And it wasn't called yeah. the Green Mill at that time, correct? No, it was called Pop Morris's Roadhouse. And then 1910, it was changed to the Green Mill. Okay. Pop Morse's Roadhouse. Do we know who Pop Morse is? He was an old guy. Yeah? Yeah. I, I don't know much about him. I know that he owned the joint and that uh, a lot of people would stop there on the way to see the dead relatives in the cemetery behind the Green Mill. Oh. It was like a, like a spot to stop, you know? Oh, I see. So they would go there and then check out the check, go to the cemetery right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, have a little something to drink and then go see the dead relatives. Yeah, yeah. there you go, boy. It's there's so much history in uh, in the in, in the Green Mill uh, and the association with uh, what's what's the story now? Let's clear some of this up. What's the what's the association with Al Capone? Okay, so Al Capone didn't own the Green Mill, which a lot of people think it was Machine Gun Jack McGurn owned the Green Mill, or actually more correct would be. He had a management contract with the uh, from the Shamalis brothers, who were the original owners of the Green Mill. Hmm. Kind of so during Prohibition, Machine Gun Jack McGurn took over the joint. Well, he's the guy that supposedly did the St. Valentine's Day Massacre for Al Capone. Hmm. So there's a little connection there. But uh, entertainer Joe E. Lewis was a singer, and that was Al Capone's favorite entertainer. So he would come to see Joe E. Lewis at the Green Mill. And did he have? Then, was there a? Yeah. Was there? Was there Al Capone's? The, Al Capone had a special seat, right in the in in the place, so that he could see the yeah, front the door, booth, the front door, uh, and the back door. Yeah, the front door and the side door. He yeah. would sit in this one booth, and then you have a, you know you could see both doors, so anyone coming. And then some historian told me that no one was ever allowed to leave or come in once he was in there, and he tipped everyone a hundred dollars and blah blah blah. Wow, you know, he's actually like a really nice guy. When he's in the joint, but, you know, obviously he's, he's happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And another thing I heard is uh, every time he walked in, they had to start sing or had to start playing. Uh, what is that? Uh, George Gershwin tune. Um, uh, Rhapsody in Blue. Yeah. Rhapsody in Blue. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That was that was Al Capone. I, I love the fact that that's Al Capone's favorite is that Rhapsody in Blue was Al Capone. <laughs> Al Capone's yeah, favorite. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. He, and, you know, his nickname was Snarky. I didn't know that. Snarky? Yeah. Where did that come yeah, from? Yeah, I mean, doesn't it, 
I, I forget. Nicole, the, she's a, I worked with her tonight. I just got home a little bit ago, and she's, she likes all the history stuff. So she told me about Al Capone's name being snarky, and I read why, and I don't remember. But I just think this guy that kills everyone has a nickname, Snarky. Yeah. This isn't very bad, <laughs> bad, bad sounding. Yeah, no, it's not. Sound. It's not real no. tough. Oh, look at Snarky. Yeah. Look at Snarky with his yeah. machine gun. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> no kidding i laughed oh yeah. man so um now you've owned you've owned the mill for how long 34 years right 34 years yeah yeah wow how did it come to you oh well the 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 long story but i'll try to make it short my dad used to go there in the 30s you know he was a big stud from the south side and him and duke would go his buddy duke would go to the Aragon ballroom and they'd meet a couple of girls, and they'd go to the Green Mill for a nightcap. So, you know, my parents are divorced, so he's living on the north side. I'm on the south side. I drive up to see him when I'm, like, 16, and he'd tell me all these stories. i go, wow, that's cool. So when i drop him off in uh, Rogers Park and I had to go back to the south side, I would drive by the Green Mill, and it was, like, cool looking you know i'm 16 years old and all the lights and everything and then when the bums rushed the car i would have to take off because i was (laughs) scared you know and uh so then later like now it's so what is it 1984 my dad dies in 19 i had bought the deja vu already in 83 yeah my dad dies in 84 now it's 85 and i'm dating a girl we go to dive bars up in uptown all the time i go hey let's go where my dad used to go to green mill she goes, yeah, okay, we go in there, and I mean, you know, you're walking over guys passed out on the floor, there's guys <laughs> shooting up heroin in the booth, there's two women beating each other up in the bathroom, I go to the bartender, you want me to break that up? He goes, I don't care, let them kill each other. <laughs> I fell in love with the joint, I thought it was the greatest place in the world, you know, but it's not how you really want to run it. Right, right. A, it was just, I loved it, so... <laughs> You know, I go, I'm I'm talking to this girl. She didn't give a crap, but I'm telling her, I go, you know, I would do this, and I would do this, and I would do that. She goes, yeah, yeah, get me another drink. And then uh, <laughs> I end up finding out the owner is Steve Brend, and he had been there since 1938. He owned it since 1960, but he had worked there, you know, since yeah, 38. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And I talked to him, and, you know, he's in debt. He had a bad leg that was really, you know, open war, uh, open wound from World War II that he still had, and it's 1985. Oh. And, you know, his wife walked with a walker, and her, his stepson was, like, helping run the joint, and he was a speedball addict. Oh. It was just a mess. Okay, hold on, Dave. So, Dave, Dave, hang yeah. on, okay? We've got to we take a quick yeah. break, and I want to get right back to that story, okay? Yeah, yeah. All right, Dave Gemelo is with us. He is the owner of the Green Mill. They're open. They're ready for uh, they're ready for business, of course, with the with the rules that are set in place, uh, and social distancing and all that stuff. But uh, they're back and going. Uh, the legendary Green Mill. We'll talk more about it on seven twenty WGN. Nick DeGilio here on seven twenty WGN. We're live in the Skyline Studio here until four o'clock. Um, at three thirty, we'll have another round of Know Your Onion. That's where you have to tell the difference between a real news headline and a headline from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. Uh, annoying things that tourists do in other countries. Uh, what about tourists that do things in Chicago that make you nuts? And we're going to talk about how you can now kiss the Blarney Stone again in Ireland if you choose to do so. All right. Right now we're talking with Dave Gemelo. He's the owner of The Green Mill, which recently, because of uh, 
uh, the the opening up of the city uh, got to open up again, and uh, we were just talking about the history of it and uh, and when Dave decided to buy it. Uh, Dave, so we're back to 1985, and the the there's people laying on the floor. There's bums everywhere. There's people shooting up heroin. People, girls fighting in the in the in the bathroom, and nobody really cares. And you fell in love with the place. Let's continue. Yes. So, um, the son was the eight ball addict, and he was helped running it. And Steve was in debt, and you know we got along real well. And so I said, like I'd like to buy the joint. So me and him kind of start talking. He says, you got to talk to the landlords. And the landlords, they like my idea, you know, trying to do a jazz club. Because there's other guys trying to buy it. And all they wanted was the light fixtures to sell, like, all that cool stuff, you know, for a bunch of money. Oh, yeah, 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 so sure. The, you know, so the landlords say, yeah, let this young guy do it. You know, he seems okay. So me and Steve arrive at a price, which was a great deal for me. And it was also a great deal for him because the landlords could have just thrown him out because he was in debt, you know, but he was a great guy. And it uh, worked out. I had to get a new license and stuff like that. And it uh, took six weeks to get the license and clean everything up and reupholster and fix things up. And then uh, I got open. The funny thing is, you know, I got a four o'clock license like a month later. And to do that, you had to get a like signatures from all the voters within 500 feet of the joint saying they don't care oh, yeah. if it's a four o'clock license. I did it myself and I'm going to these apartments and I'm in shooting galleries. You know what that is where yeah. they, everyone's on the mattress shooting heroin. Yeah. And I know all these guys cause I was hanging out in there all 1985 and I go, Hey, uh, I'm buying a green mill. Can you sign this for me? And they'd sign, Oh yeah, you're going to let us in. I go, yeah, yeah. Be just like it was, but then yeah, I didn't let him in because he didn't want that stuff. Right, right. So you so you ended up so, getting it. See that. So you ended up getting it, changing it into a jazz club. Um, yeah, and it's become one of the premier jazz clubs in the in in the country. Um, uh, Dave, as you yeah, know. it's worked out well. Yeah, yeah it's um, really happy with it, and you know you have all these ideas when you're young and dumb and naive, and you just work really hard, and it ends up where it worked out the way you wanted it you yeah know? yeah so it's it's pretty cool yeah it's, i think it's one of the i mean I, I when i was a drinking man i it was one of my favorite places to go to there's just no question about it i love the history i love everything about it uh featured in a ton yeah. of movies it featured in a ton of movies as well dave yeah 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 it's uh well you were talking about i i was listening to you on the way home from work and you're talking about carl reiner oceans something we were oceans 12 i think was filmed there yeah and uh well, lots of them. Uh, Prelude to a Kiss, High Fidelity. Well, it got TV shows and stuff. It's good. It got blown up in Thief. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was before <laughs> my time. But, yeah, because there were guys that were uh, guys that hung out there when I bought it, and they were in the movie, you know? Yeah. And Steve, you know, Steve, they love Steve. Uh, you know, James Kahn and uh, who's the director? Michael, Michael Mann. Mann. Yeah, Michael Mann. Yeah, they put. They put a new floor down for him. They reupholstered stuff. They did all kinds of work for him, and then they blew up the front of the joint. The uh, <laughs> vestibule still held together with an L bracket because it, they blew up a little bit more than they needed to. Oh boy! Wow! Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, I love I love the Green Mill so much that every time I watch Thief, I get very sad when they blow it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, you know, they took the sign down and put up a fake sign and blew that up. Oh, okay. That's how they did yeah, it. Yeah, huh? because I got. 
Yeah, I got pictures uh, in the old scrapbook of uh, them taking a sign down, but that was a lot of work to do that. You I know? bet, yeah, I bet. I think they do everything with digitally this yeah. These days, don't they? Yeah, pretty much. You know? Yeah, they don't really. They're they're yeah. not going to really blow stuff up anymore. I don't think that's that's what's going to happen. Um, you know, right. and, and what about the? Uh, let's talk a little bit about the tunnels uh, yeah. that 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 are underneath the bar. Okay, well, you know, there's a trap door behind the bar, and you go down that, and then you go around a few ways, and then there's these uh, fire doors, these big steel doors, and. You get the you unlock it and you open the one, then you open the other one. Then there's a series of tunnels. Now it's not as juicy as it used to be because in the old days there was no lights and you could get across the street, like under the street, and you were able to get out on the Lawrence Avenue and on out on the Broadway. Nowadays it's like there's lights and there's people using areas of it for storage and that. So it's you know they're still there, but yeah. it's just not like a as cool as it was you know yeah now was that also like a thing that al capone would use in case in case he had to get out and and not be seen yeah yeah so in the old days you know if like okay let's just say even it's prohibition you're still getting the liquor up there but it's in coffee cups and stuff but if you want to have a real party like al capone would want to have you'd be down in the tunnels and there's rooms on to the sides They'd have a room, and that would be like an anything-goes room, if you know what I mean. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. drinking, debauchery, uh, gambling, girls, all the liquor you want, free-flowing. And then if there was a raid or anything, somehow they tell them down there, and the guys aren't going to come back up through a trap door into the joint where the coppers are. They're going to go out through the tunnels and be on Lawrence Avenue or Broadway walking down the street. And when the copper says, hey, I was looking for you, Joe Italian guy, and, uh, you know, the guy says, Get, leave me alone. I'm just going to the movie show with my girl, you know? Yeah, and yeah. Then, uh, that's how they got away with it. Yeah. God, there's so much great history in the uh, uh, in the Green Mill. And it feels that, you know, when you, you, you know, Dave, every time I would go in there, you could feel the history of the place. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's, that's, that it's yeah. still, it's palpable, you know? Well, because you don't change much. I mean, you know, I bought it in 86. I just cleaned it up. But, I mean, it's still the same frames and the pictures and the mm. back bar and you know it just got the character all over it from the days of th- when that was going on so i guess it is easy to feel it you know yeah yeah it is and, and it's just such a you know it's just such a great it's just, just such a such a great place and you so it was yeah. it was a month after you bought it that it got the that you got the four o'clock license yeah and yeah, uh and then uh go on I was going to say, that worked out pretty well for you, huh? Oh, it was great, because I always wanted to do the, um, like, a late-night jam session type thing. Yeah. You because know, um, I was reading a book, uh, Swing the Bop by Ira Gittler, when I was trying to buy the joint, and it was all about uh, the, the transition of swing to bebop and jazz, you know, and it was all um, oral history. And they were talking about Minton's Playhouse and... Uh, Parkman Rose Uptown House in New York with uh, you know Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, and they were doing that called modern jazz, which of course was bebop, but they couldn't do it during the regular sets like the eight to midnight. They had to do it like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning into the wee hours. So that's how I got the idea to do it at the Green Mill. You know, your main band on Friday plays nine to one. Then you have a jam session afterwards. Yeah. And Saturday you have the main band eight to twelve. Then you have a late night band. So it's kind of like a hang, but you couldn't do that if you didn't have a four o'clock license. You know, I mean, we're playing jazz till five o'clock in the morning on Saturday night. Yeah. 
you know, you leave the joint, the sun's coming up, and you're half jagged up. It's kind yeah. of cool, you know. Where can you do that anywhere in the world? <laughs> you're bringing back a lot of memories for me, Dave. <laughs> well, well um, I'm glad you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and so, you, now, you've always been a jazz guy, Dave? Well, you know, since, like, eighth grade, I think, you know, my dad gave me a... What is it? The 1938 Carnegie Hall Jazz Festival uh, record, Benny Goodman. And I kind of just jumped on it and I loved it. And, uh, you know, I played a piano a little bit, but I'm not a piano player. The guys would call me an instrument owner. But, um, <laughs> you know, so I just got into that because all my friends were like in a, what is it, like a Robert Plant's uh, Zeppelin. It, uh, Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin. Yeah, Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. He goes to the joint a lot, by the way, Robert Plant. But um, is that right? Oh yeah, whenever he's in town, he always stops in. I didn't even know who he was, <laughs> and then and then now we talk to him all the time. He's a great guy. Oh, that's awesome. But, um, I I was all you know. I got the, in the jazz and blues and stuff, and jazz is what I really got into. So you know, I got to know a little bit. You know. Yeah. Well, that's that's great, man, and it and you've turned it into uh, you turned it into you know the, the one of the premier jazz clubs in the in the country. Uh, Dave, hang on, okay? Yeah, sure. All right, Dave Gemelo is with us. He owns the Green Mill. We want to talk about what it's like now. Uh, you know what it was like to be closed down, and now with these restrictions, what it's like. And if you have questions, or if you've ever been to the Green Mill and you just want to share your memories. Uh, it's one. It's a it's a wonderful place. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. If you want to uh, talk about the Green Mill with the owner Dave Gemelo, we'll continue our conversation here on seven twenty WGN. Hey, it's Nick DeGilio on seven twenty WGN. We're live in the Skyline Studio, and we're here until four, uh, as we are every weekday uh, night into the morning at four o'clock. We go over to Bradley Place, the TV side of WGN and uh, get some news and information from them. And then at 5 o'clock, the one and only Bob Surratt, the legendary Bob Surratt, has your morning uh, drive. 312-981-7200 is the phone number if you would like to jump in here. We're talking to Dave Gemelo, who's the owner of the Green Mill. And if you have any memories about the Green Mill or questions or comments, 312-981-7200. And, uh, Dave, you know, you mentioned uh, before the break that Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin was kind of it's kind of a regular. Who are some of the other famous people that hang out there? I know that uh, you know lots of people when they're in town they visit the Green Mill. Well, Vince Vaughn comes. He was coming in a lot, not that much lately, but um, you know he did that one movie there, The Dilemma. Yeah, and he was hanging out there a lot. It was kind of funny. He he was coming in so much that uh, you know he was. He'd get carded and things like that because no, like Big Al was working the front door and he doesn't even know it's Vince Vaughn. He just cards <laughs> and Vince Vaughn brings out, yeah, yeah. takes out his ID. So one time, <laughs> Vince comes and uh, uh, Big Al seizes sees him and says, uh, "Let me see your ID." And sees he goes, "Oh, I know you. You're the guy that got your towed your car towed last week because <laughs> his car was in the." across the street in the parking lot it got towed and it was a big thing where everyone's trying to help him here's where you got to go do this and do that yeah, yeah and that's all big al recognized him from was his car and then he finds out oh that's that's vince vaughn he's like an actor so he's trying to invite him to his picnic he has every year and stuff like that you know <laughs> big I, I got a kick out of that and then uh, i got drunk with johnny depp once he oh was, uh because they were doing that movie, uh, the John Dillinger Public thing, Enemies, you know? yeah, Public Enemies. Public Enemies, yeah. and they were going to be filming at the bank across the street. 
So Michael Mann, I think he was the director yep. of that, too. He yep. told Depp, go to the Green Mill, because I did the movie Thief there. Remember the one with the blowing up the joint? And so Depp came in with a bodyguard. He was very nice, and he wanted to talk to me because, you know, wanted to hear the history of the joint. So I sat down with him. He was great. Yeah. You know, everyone's going like Gaga. No one bothered him because, like, we don't let no one bother people, you know. But he was a nice guy, and he came in uh, later that week to see Deep Blue Organ Trio, and he come in with, with Stephen Dorff and some other people. Yeah. I, I guess that guy's an actor, too. Yeah, he is. Yeah. And uh, and so uh, it's a pretty funny do you want me to tell you this funny story? Oh, of course. Okay, so, you know, I wasn't there, but this is a story I heard. Uh, Depp loved the band, and he wanted to talk to Chris Foreman, the organist, you know, who's blind. And Chris, you know, he was sitting at the bar, and Depp went and talked to him, and they had a nice chat and everything. And then when uh, Depp and his guys left, uh, Jason was walking, the manager was walking yeah. uh, Chris Foreman to the cab to go home. And uh, Chris goes to Jason, he goes, yeah, that guy, Johnny, he was a real nice guy. What's he do? Who's he? And and Jason has to say, oh, he's probably the most famous actor in the world. And Chris goes, oh, okay, well, he's a nice guy. And he got in his cabin left. And I thought that was cool. <laughs> That's fantastic. Nobody recognizes. Yeah. I love the fact that Big Hell well, Carter Chris is been... blind anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, it's true. Uh, it's but it's funny because yeah. I uh uh I love that Big Hell carded uh, Vince Vaughn. I just think that's oh, fa- that's yeah. fantastic. I know. That's I know. It, it's just so official and Vince loved all of that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. He, he liked just getting treated like normal, you know, yeah. and it was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you, when you did the restoration of the bar, when you first bought it, what, what kind of things yeah. did you have, what, what kind of things did you have to change? Well, like, you know, I built the big stage and the dance floor and then, uh, you know, like we had to do a lot of electrical work and some plumbing and then, uh, just reupholster all the boots, refinish the wood on the bar and the, the front type part of the bar, you know, where your legs go, we cleaned yeah. all that up Yeah, and, uh, you know, some, minor stuff in the bathrooms and uh just clean everything but it was it was a major lot of work i bet for like a guy with no money you know it was kind of tough but we got it done yeah now and how slowly did business start to pick up well the, we opened what was it june 19th and it was you know opening night was killer but then after that it was sporadic it was just okay. I was charging a dollar to get in during the week and two dollars on Saturday, you know, with live music yeah. for six nights. Yeah. And then uh, Larry Cart from uh, was he the Sun Times or the Tribune? He was a writer. Mm-hmm. He wrote it up that he loved the joint. I don't know if he had ever even been there, but after that, people just started coming in, and it just kind of you know, snowballs, like, you know, you have a good product and you don't rip anybody off. And the people say, oh, boy, there's this joint up north, you know, let's go there. Yeah. And then people actually, like, south of Belmont would even come up. You know what I mean? Uh, Before that, it was just, uh, you know, guys that are pioneers. They want to go to a dive bar in a neighborhood that's scary, and they still go anyway. But now you're getting, like, Mighty Blue Kings started playing there, and then all of a sudden... Lincoln Parkers started coming in and, you know, you just do some things to make it a destination spot. Yeah. And it certainly is. I mean, there's no, there's no question about it. It's, it it certainly is. Uh, How do you, you, how, what, what, what's it like to, 
you know, to have watched Uptown change just so much over these years. Because you're talking about the, you know, 1985. Uptown was kind of a nightmare at that time. Um, oh, yeah. And it was it, rough. What's, yeah. it, what's it like to, to, to have watched that neighborhood change? Well, it's it's great because it's still like a, a colorful neighborhood. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it not is. like going to Lincoln Park. It's not completely gentrified. You know, but it's it's nice that the crime isn't so bad, and right. there's just all different kinds of people walking around, and they're not afraid to walk around. There's not like guys getting shot and you know stuff like you know just bad stuff going on. There's a Starbucks across the street. I mean, can you believe that? <laughs> you know, I mean, when that thing opened, they had no idea what they were in for. Yeah, and then they had to get like people working there that knew how to handle stuff. Yeah, but now it's. You know, now you could go in there and it's like a regular Starbucks. So it's nice to see that. And then, you know, the one thing is like you say, oh, man, I should have bought that building. Oh, man, I should have bought that building. Because now these buildings are worth a ton of money. But, you know. You're busy trying to run a joint at the time, so yeah, it's 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 it's, it's good. It's 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 interesting to to see, you know, having you know, you know, gone to Uptown a lot. You know, when I was a kid, we yeah. we, we would go to movies, you know, at the Uptown yeah. Theater and, and at, yeah. at the Riviera and um, things like that, and just to see how that neighborhood has changed. But you're right, though, about it, Dave. It's not completely gentrified. It still has it still has a personality, um, and it still has an edge to it. There's there's no question about it. Right. We still got a guy in the corner, Juicy, who, you know, he's just relentless on bothering people. Yeah. But he's kind of like our guy, even though we don't like him. You know, but it's just, <laughs> you know, he, he's, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he's a staple. We're yelling at each other tonight. He's yeah. a staple in the neighborhood, man. There's, 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 yeah, there's no, there's no part question of it. about yeah. it. Yeah. What was the first act to play uh, the Green Mill when you when you opened, when you ran ran the place when you started running the place? Oh wow, that's great that you asked it because I was just thinking about it the other day. Stardust, Stardust. It was a yeah. Joette Waters, she ran this uh, band called Stardust, and it was like an Andrew Sisters band. Oh, a guy named Phil was a piano player, bass player, Mark Litton on drums, and then the three women singers. And I used to see them at a, one of Roger Greenfield's joints or something. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is cool, because it kind of fits that 1940s thing. So I had them, and then uh, Tommy Ponce played there early on, Mike Finnerty, um, Ed Peterson, Brad Good, uh, Deja Vu Big Band, uh, what was uh, the violin? Uh, no, viola player, uh, Susie Hansen. Mm-hmm. Those were the the ones that started out, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've um, had you've had thousands of acts play in your place. What are some of the, what are your, some of your favorites, most memorable performances? Well, I guess my favorite. I like the Battle of Saxes, and that I got from that book I was telling you about earlier. You know, where you have the two or three saxophone players playing like a battle, but they're not really fighting, and then a rhythm section, piano, bass, drums. And my favorite was when we had a. Von Freeman, Ed Peterson, and Clifford Jordan. Clifford Jordan is like such a big deal. Just to have him alone would be a big deal. But he loved it. And we'd have the three, those three monster Chicago-style saxophone, tenor sax players. Yeah. And then like Jody Christian on piano, like uh, who was on bass? John Whitfield, I think, and uh, Wilbur Campbell or Robert Shy on drums. 
you don't get anything better than that. Yeah. And you never see that anywhere. We still do it now, but we just use two saxophone players because it costs too much to do three. But, yeah. um, you know, it's that's like one of my favorite things. And then uh, Sheila Jordan, you know, she's 91 years old. She yeah. still plays there. Yeah. And uh, Dave Liebman, uh, you know, Harry Connick Jr.'s played there. He used to hang out there in the 80s mm-hmm. when he was in his big band, when he was real famous. And he would come in with uh, Jerry Weldon and Dave Schumacher, and those guys would sit in, but Harry wouldn't sit in with the band because Jody Christian was playing piano, and he's like, Harry didn't want to go up there because he didn't have the chops to go after Jody. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. On the piano. Yeah. So then years later, you know, he's getting better and better and better, and he's still real famous, of course. And he called, he didn't call, his people called and said, Harry wants to play at the joint. I go, okay, that's cool. Let's work something out. He says, but he ain't going to sing. I go, that's fine. I don't care. You know, I know I could sell, sell it out. Yeah. And we did. And his chops were great. He was a great piano player, and that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to play in a real joint, playing a piano with his band, and it was killer. And then right at the end of the, each set, he sang a couple of tunes, and all the women are swooning and stuff. It was <laughs> It was pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's awesome that he that he just wanted to play in, in you know in a place that had so much history. You know, yeah, because you know he used to hang out there in yeah. the '80s, and he remembered that, and he knows it's a cool joint, and he wanted to play just a joint. You know, not like you know he's playing all these big giant fancy places, and this is like he could come and who's going to say no? We won't let you play if you don't sing. I don't care. Yeah. I'm happy he's even in there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just and it worked great. I think we charged thirty bucks. That's nothing. Yeah. Just to see just to see Harry to see Harry Connick Jr., especially in such a such a great venue and, 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 and a smaller venue where you can see actually just be in the same room with the guy. Right. Yeah, you're sitting there watching them, you're three feet away. Yeah. You know, it's great. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. much, so much history uh, at at this place, Dave. I got to tell you, and yeah. uh, and it just it's 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 just it's just a it's just a great place. Uh, let's take a quick break yeah. here, uh, Dave, and then I want to talk to you about what's been going on uh, during this pandemic and 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 how the reopen is going. Okay, you got it. Okay, Dave Gemelo is with us, uh, owner of the Green Mill. What great stories, man! Such great stories. That place has so much history. Um, if you have any Green Mill memories or questions or comments. We'd love to hear from you. 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. More coming up. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. And uh, we're live in the Skyline studio. Uh, 18 stories about beautiful downtown Chicago. And we're here uh, until 4 o'clock. Um, we are going to talk about uh, some annoying things that tourists do when they're in Chicago or big mistakes that you made while you were traveling. Um, and uh, the Blarney Stone can be kissed again. And annoying things tourists do in other countries. And if you've ever made a mistake when you were on uh, on vacation. Uh, we also play back some classic Johnny uh, Carson. Johnny Carson show you can watch on uh, Antenna TV every night. And uh, we suggest that you do. We're going to play back a bit that Ronald Reagan did. Who's on first? When we do that at 2.30. And at 3.30, it's another round. It's a Wednesday morning with another round of Know Your Onion. Uh, and the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. We are having a conversation with Dave Gemelo, uh, owner of the legendary Green Mill Bar in Uptown. Um, and uh, Dave, we've got a couple of people who are on the line here that want to uh, say hello. Okay. All right. Here's uh, Joyce on WGN. Hi, Joyce. Hi. 
Mr. Gemelo, I am an avid jazz fan. Oh, Joyce, I you your, know who you are. Your, do you know who I am? Yeah, I'm you're the, the lady, lady that the legendary jazz Hold on, hold on, one at a time. Go, go, uh, Dave. I put your car in the parking lot for you that one time, remember? I do. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. my goodness, I can't believe it. I recognize your and, voice, and, yeah. And, you know, with all this going on, and I saw the end of the paper today, and I said, you know, this is the place to go. What I'm interested yeah. in knowing is, how can I get a roster of who is going to be there when? Well, oh, can you t- there's a, there's you know, a new you know, thing uh, called uh, the Internet. The yeah, Internet? You know okay. what? Yeah, right now, if you go to our website, you know, because I'm kind of booking things as we go, uh, look at the website, greenmilljazz.com. And uh, you could see what's booked. Uh, you know, I'm adding things now where I'm like at least a week ahead here, so yeah. we're we're getting there. Yeah. So you could you could do that. Is that cool, Joyce? You, do I need a reservation or no? Just you just check it no, out no. online. You, check it out online. Go to greenmilljazz.com, and the schedules are are, are up there. Okay, and I could just come. Are you no doing the uh, just, social just distancing and all that stuff? You just 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 you can just come in, Joyce. Okay, great. Okay. Is Paul going to be there, you know? Not not right this second, because I'm not doing any singers or horns right now, because it's too much. Uh, oh, with the pandemic, out. I yeah. got you. Right. Okay. I got you. Well, whatever it is, it'll be greatly appreciated, and I can't wait to be there. Okay, thanks, Joyce. All right, Joyce. Take care. There you go. That's nice, huh, Dave? Yeah, it's funny. I remembered her voice right away. She's got to be like, uh, you know, she's up there. Yeah. Little little short thing walks really slow. She's a very nice woman. Yeah. <laughs> I don't great. know how to say anything. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Here's Robert on WGN. Hey, Robert. Well, it's nice to meet the owner. A friend of mine owns Kingston Mines. So about oh. ten years back, and I got sick and tired of listening to that crap. And then they told me to go over to your place. So yeah. I went over there, and it was fantastic. I mean, it, oh, good. I mean, it's absolutely, and I was there on a Saturday, and I was one of the guys who helped sweep up the floor, and they finally kicked me out. I think it was 5.30 in the morning or something. <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah. But the super, I mean, just the people that you have working for you. Because so, I was like, I know you have a four-card license, and I, let me finish my beer. He goes, no, you got that beer, and then you got two more beers, and you got a shot. And I was like, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> I found my home, you know. And yeah. So, but you have a great, great place. It's just fantastic. Oh, and, thank and, you. And again, if you if you love that type of music, and I do, it's you know, it's now with all the crap that's going on, I know it's going to take a while before you can bring back horns and things of that sort. But yeah, you'll get there. Yeah. Again. yeah. All right, Robert. Good. Thank well, you. Thanks. Appreciate thanks. it. Thanks, Robert. No worries, man. All okay. right. Have a great Take night. care. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, some of the restrictions that are happening right now. Now, uh, obviously, you're not open until four. Uh, currently, um, your hours are shorter, sure. uh, but you are right. doing live music. You said no horns, no vocals. Um, so right. let, let's talk a little bit about um, w- what's been going on and some of the restrictions and how you're dealing with it. Well, we have to close at 11 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. you know, which is really hard because uh, people just like on the weekend, they just start coming out like at 10. Yeah, it's true. And then we're close, you know, so your your band, uh, my last set ends at 1030. You know, you stop to cover about 10.05, 10.10, because you're not going to charge people for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then they start coming in, and then they say, oh, get one drink, and you got to go. I yeah. mean, that's right when we get rolling. Yeah. So it's kind of hard on that. And then, uh, 
you know, we always had two shifts, noon until 8 and then 8 till 4. Well, now we're down to one shift because it doesn't make sense. So we open at 3 and we close at 11 so you have one bartender work the eight-hour shift like a normal shift. Mm-hmm. So it's in the skeleton crew, you know, because you could only allow, we could only allow 44 and a half people in. So um, you don't need a lot of people working. So then you feel bad for the people that normally be working, like on a Saturday, you'd have two shifts, a yeah. bunch of shows, yeah. all kinds of employees, a lot of, you know, musicians and entertainers and things. And so it's all cut down drastically and still, you know, it, it's hard to make a, a buck with 44 and a half people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And are you have you re- when you opened up, did you reach capacity? Or did you reach 44 and a half people? No, we haven't done that. Uh close, but we didn't get there. But I'll tell you, the energy in the room was so good with the band. I mean, when you haven't seen live music like in 3 months and 10 days, and all of a sudden it happens again, it just really gets your heart going, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh it's wonderful. I mean, I was thinking, like, man, there won't be a good energy between the band and the audience because there's not many people. But they were so into it. I thought it sounded like there were 100 people in there, but, yeah. they, you know, because they were so happy. Yeah. So, um, you know, we haven't gotten there yet. There's a lot of people that are afraid to go out. It's You know, we got, like, grown-ups that go. I mean, we get young people, too, but there's a lot of grown-ups, and they're kind of being responsible and then you you know if you go to by wrigley field they're all everyone's out so yeah. we just got a different kind of crowd yeah yeah uh well it's 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 such a great place let's talk a little bit about the uptown poetry slam it was the world's first yeah. um and it yeah. started in 1986 how did that start all right well so that ended up um i was doing jazz six nights a week and Sunday, I didn't do jazz because I owned a deja vu when I had a jazz jam session on that night, and I didn't want to compete with myself. Gotcha. So I'm uh, doing nothing on Sundays, and we're open, and I think I ring like $60 or something. I'm thinking, man, i got to think of something to do that isn't jazz. Yeah. And then I remembered this guy, Mark Smith, did a poetry show before my jam session at the vu, the deja vu, and I thought, oh, yeah, that guy, he had a big crowd. It was cool. You know, Jack Kerouac, it kind of goes with jazz, blah, blah, blah. I go, let, let me call this guy. I call him up. I go, Mark, you want to do something on Sunday night? He goes, let me think about it. Calls me a week later. I go, okay, what do you want to do? He goes, I'm going to do a thing called the Uptown Poetry Slam. I go, what's that? He goes, don't worry about it. <laughs> and I go, Fine. And from that, it's all over the world, and he still does the show. I mean, not now because of the COVID thing, yeah, yeah. but he's still the guy. I yeah. mean, you know, he's been on the, you know, the 60 Minutes, and he goes all over the world. He's big stuff in Europe. Yeah. He's like, you know, they, they're whining and dining him. And uh, so he's the guy that started the whole thing, and it started oh, at the Green Mill. That's so great. it's kind of a cool thing. It's yeah. a very cool thing. It's a very, very cool thing. Hey, you mentioned that you own the Deja yeah. Vu. Yeah, uh, I used to go there all the time. There used to be a, a thing, a, a storefront, a few doors, few doors down called Players Workshop. Um, yeah, right. And and that was where I tra- I trained there before I went to Second City. And we would always after class we would always go to the VU. Um, and I have memories. Oh, yeah. I have memories of Chris Farley doing the turtle races. Am I nuts or is that true? No, you're you're mixed up with uh, Ken Campbell. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, Kenneth Hudson Campbell. He's actually an actor in Hollywood now. You yeah, know, he does. He was like in a lot of movies, and he does a lot of voiceovers and stuff. But he was a turtle race announcer. Oh, okay. And he was a bi- bigger guy, so that's why I know you would have. You could have got him mixed up with Chris. Farley. Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. All those people from the players' workshop, like where you were, a lot of them got to be famous. You know, Bob Odenkirk. He, you know, I had comedy nights there using all those guys. Yeah, yeah. I'd give them free draft beer. Bob Odenkirk was in it. Bonnie Hunt, Ken Campbell, uh, uh, Rob Schmeigel. Yeah. Um, Tom Giannis, all these guys end up becoming these famous guys, and they uh, would play this comedy night at uh, VU for free draft beer. Yeah. You know, I charge a dollar to get in. We'd have like 400 people coming in. It was yeah. great. That was a great place. The, the, I, I love the VU. Like I said, every 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 time after class, uh, at, yeah. right, right up the street, the first thing we'd do was go and have some drinks at the VU. Yeah, you know, I thought, because I played football in that, I thought I was going to have a sports bar. And then all of a sudden, uh, all these actors and stuff are coming in. I'm thinking, geez, what's this? And they were cool and they were fun. So I just went with it. Yeah. And it turned out real well. Yeah. Well, is it, that was a great place too. And of course, the Green Mill is great. Yeah. Best of luck, Dave. And uh, and I know it's going to be it's going to be it's it's still going to be a little difficult to get through this. But it, you know, once we get through yeah. it, and, and uh, the mill is back up and running and open till four, I'm sure your business will 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 vastly improve, buddy. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. We need it. So yeah. okay. Let's well, go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thanks. So go to the mill. Go to the mill. They're open. They're open. What what are, what are your hours again? Three to eleven. Three to eleven. Yes, seven days a week. Seven Three days a 11. week. Three to eleven. Seven days a week. Go in. Spend some and dough. Up. Spend some dough at the Green Mill. If there's social distancing, there are rules in place. Uh, walk in oh, with yeah. walk in all, walk all in with your stuff, mask yeah. and and all that all, all that good stuff. Help Dave out. And I know a lot of bars and restaurants really need some help right now. And uh, Dave, best of luck, my friend. I love your place. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. All I'll right. see you later, Nick. Okay, buddy. Take care. Right. Dave Gemelo, uh, owner of the Green Mill. Uh, they're open for business, and uh, they, they need it. You know, a lot of the restaurants and the bars are struggling right now, and some are even closing, obviously, and we don't want the mill to close. No, no way. Hello. Nick DeGilio here on uh, 720 WGN. We talk a little travel here. Um, have you ever uh, made any mistakes? While you were traveling and annoyed the 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 the, the, the people who are, live there, <laughs> and what is annoying about tourists that come to Chicago? What makes you a little bit crazy about tourists that come to Chicago? Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number here. Uh, you can call the uh, Team Hockberg phone line. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Rob, uh, we're going to listen to uh, some classic uh, Johnny Carson. We always play Johnny Carson back at two thirty. Um, and we're going to hear Ronald Reagan do Who's on First. Well, Johnny Carson as Ronald Reagan. As Ronald Reagan, yes. Doing who's on First. Yes. I mean, his Ronald Reagan was hilarious. It's very good Ronald Johnny's Reagan. Ronald Reagan was very hilarious. Uh, it's it's, uh, it's Wednesday morning, so at 3.30 we have a, a round of Know Your Onion. That's where you call in. We get two contestants to to come in. And Tom is your host, and he will read you a news headline, and you have to decide whether it is real or from the satirical comedy newspaper, The Onion. Because the news is a little weird these days. <laughs> like, you can't tell. Uh, and so sometimes you can't tell the difference between real stuff and Onion stuff. And if you do, you get the majority of them correct, you win. What What's going on? Who doesn't want to win? Don't you want to win, Tom? You're not eligible. I am not eligible. <laughs> I, I consider every week getting to uh, read you the headlines. 
as a win. Yeah, it's a fun. That's it's, what I it's, care about. It, it's fun, and uh, and you know, you get a couple of listeners here. They you know they have some fun on the air with us, and then they they win a prize. So uh, that's coming up later. Okay, uh, what are the most annoying things that um, people who visit Chicago, tourists that visit Chicago, do? Do you have any of those? 312-981-7200. Have you ever made any mistakes while you were traveling? Now, Tom, you've traveled around a lot. I've, I've been around. Have you ever made any faux pas? Personally, no, um, because my dad was a really well-traveled guy, and he really made it clear to me that respect... Respect that where you're going. Respect where you're going. Yeah, yeah. You know, just... You don't speak out of turn if you don't need to. Obviously, if you need help, ask for help. But uh, try to assimilate yourself where you are. Try to, and when in Rome, do as the Romans do. But I will say, I went on a school trip to Europe when I was in uh, when I was in high school, and uh, <laughs> yeah, we get to we get to London Heathrow Airport, an airport, and one of the girls that was on the trip with us, she hears people chattering and they're you know speaking in their english accents different accents and everything like that yeah and she turns to the rest of us and says wow they speak american here oh god and i was like oh no you know it's england (sighs) where english kind of comes from in a sense and I was like, yeah, they speak they English They speak here. American here. Yeah, they speak American. Uh, and uh, I told her, yeah, they, sp- they speak they actually speak English, English. But they, uh, she says to me, like, you know, what about up in uh, up in Scotland? Do they have a, do they have TV there? <laughs> what? I was like, what do you think this is? A third world country? Come on. Do yes. they have TV there? Do they have television in Scotland? In Scotland. They, yes. Who was this? This is a girl that was on this, another student, a high school age person. Oh, my God. This is on this trip. A high school age person asking if they have TV in Scotland. Yeah. Um, you got uh, to be kidding me. Yeah. What really struck me, though, was, oh, wow, they speak American speak here. speak American here. I've never, this was almost uh, almost 10 years ago. Almost 10 years ago now. I'll never forget that. Seriously, it was only 10 years ago. Yeah. This is, uh, I mean, we're talking, it'll, so it was about eight years ago now. So in about, about Jeez. two years, it'll be 10 years ago. They speak, so. they speak American here. Well, that's certainly <laughs> annoying. Uh, 312-981-7200 is the phone number if you would like to join us. Um, tourists who come to Chicago, what kind of faux pas have they made and what's annoying about it? If you have any stories about it, we'd love to hear you. Have you ever made uh, a faux pas or done something that you shouldn't have done when you were uh, in a different place? So now here's the, 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 the kickoff story here for this topic. And we want to hear from you at 312-981-7200 is um, you can kiss the Blarney Stone again in Ireland. Um, life became ever so slightly more normal in Ireland on Monday as pints were pulled and lockdown hair was trimmed for the first time since the middle of March. Listen, let me explain something to you. You know how you know how serious this is. If you want to measure how serious this is, the pubs were closed since March in Ireland. That's how serious this is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the pubs in Ireland were closed. Yeah, my uncle Kevin owns a pub in Ireland. Oh, he does? Yeah, it's called the Talk of the Town. Where is it? It is in uh, a small place called Banger Eris in Mayo. Okay. So west coast of Ireland. West okay. coast of Ireland. Owns a place called Talk of the Town. And uh, 
he, you know, he loves it. It's been great, but and thankfully, he also keeps he keeps sheep and does all this other stuff. I have a little bit of country bumpkin in me from uh, from that sure. side of the family. Sure, but uh, he says it was you know, it was like cutting off all social contact. He closed the pub. What are we even going to do? Exactly. And I know it's a bit of a stereotype, and there are plenty of Irish people listen, who don't drink. Listen, it's not a stereotype. It's true. All right, it might sound like a stereotype, but it's true. It's a gathering place. Absolutely. It's a public house. That's where the name comes from. They have so many wonderful pubs in Ireland. You know, that trip that I took years ago, like uh, it was like 10 years ago that my ex-wife and I went. Best trip I've ever gone on in my life. We were there for three weeks. We covered every part of Ireland, from the southern part to Belfast, and we went to a pub, we went to at least one pub a day, at least. Well, where else are you going to get your breakfast? Yeah. Oh, the <laughs> Irish breakfast. Oh, don't get me started. Okay, so uh, you can kiss the Blarney Stone. We got more more about that. Um, what are some uh, annoying things that people do uh, when they visit other countries? And uh, what about? Um, Chicago, when people visit Chicago, are there things that tourists do that make you nuts? 312-981-7200. And if you've made a faux pas while you're traveling, they speak American here. (laughs) I still can't believe that. I can't either, really. Wow. All right. 312-981-7200 on 720 WGN. Hello, Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN. Uh, we're here until uh, 4 o'clock, as we are every weekday, night into the morning. 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place, the TV side of WGN, get an hour's worth of news and information from those great folks. And then the great Bob Surratt takes over at 5. We are here at WGN 24-7 to keep you company, to keep you informed, and to keep you going. And we'll get through this together. 312-981-7200. That's our phone number if you would like to join us. Our phone lines are open. We're talking a little bit about traveling. What are uh, things that tourists uh, do in Chicago that make you nuts? If you ever made any faux pas with your traveling, uh, you can you can kiss the Blarney Stone now again back in Ireland. Uh, and here's George on WGN. Hey, George. Good morning, Nick. Hi. Hey, what's the Irish breakfast? What's in the Irish breakfast? Yes. Okay. It's um, boy, it's all it's bacon, it's sausage, um, and it's big sausage, not like the link, you know, not like the it's like Irish sausage. Uh, baked beans, okay. baked beans, eggs usually over easy, mushrooms, tomatoes, grilled tomatoes, um, and then toast and butter and marmalade. And then if you're going to include it, this is more of the British breakfast, but they also have black or white pudding, oh which, is, which is which is which is black or white pudding. It's not pudding; it's actually it's blood. It's 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 fried blood. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And it's it's I got to tell you it's it's it, it's as filling as you can imagine, and uh, and it's great. It's it's fantastic. Well, you need a point to wash it down. Yeah, absolutely right. That's exactly exactly right. All right, uh, thank you, George. Thanks, Nick. You know where can you where do you have a place where you can get a good? Do you have any recommendations where you can get a really good Irish breakfast? Uh, Fado usually yeah, does a good one. That's the first. That's the first one that popped into my head. Yeah. Um. My grandma, my grandmother, who is Irish. Yeah. Um. She keeps telling me there's this place out near her on the northwest side that does like this fabulous Irish breakfast. I cannot for the life of me remember. She where lives it by is. the hip, right? But yeah, not far. Not, not far. far for like the I'd northwest say, uh, side because I'm, I'm on the northwest the side. Yeah, so it would be right right near you. 
Come on now. I'm serious. I, I went to the hip last weekend. I'm pre. I went by Six Corners. You know, I was right in your you know, neck I'm, of the woods. Nick Six Corners, not very far from where I live. Yeah, not not far. Um, and she was telling me she's like, when the, when everything opens back up, when everything opens back up, Thomas, you will get you will get you a breakfast. And I was like, well, where is it? She's like, oh, she she was telling me all these names and stuff. It's, it's the best Irish breakfast I've ever had, Thomas. Is it a bar? I don't think it is. Oh. I, is there was something about it unexpected. It's just a restaurant. I believe so. But it, she says best Irish breakfast she's ever had. Okay. Um, well, I trust your grandmother. I usually trust her, too. Yeah. Um, you know, she's beaten me enough times with a wooden spoon for me to. <laughs> that's earned trust. That's beaten in trust. Ah, there you go. So for the first time since March 13th, the Blarney Stone was kissed, a hugely important moment for anyone looking uh, to get the gift of the gab. As the country embarked on the stage, the next stage of governments easing the coronavirus restrictions, bars that serve food were able to welcome back customers. Pubs not selling food can reopen on July 20th. Uh, most pubs in Ireland ser- serve food, though. Yeah. I mean, almost every pub that we went to when we were they'll in Ireland do, served food. They'll do some sort of, th- they'll usually, ma- they'll do pies. Yeah. You know, at the very least. Um, hairdressers, gyms, pools, and cinemas have all been allowed to open, while small congregations can attend church services again. Mass gatherings, including weddings of 50 people indoors or 200 people outdoors, are now also allowed, while face coverings have been compulsory on public transport. Um... The reopening of the pubs marked a milestone moment in the recovery of the country. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it sounds like such a stereotype, but it's 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 more like you said, a cultural thing. It's it's a it's yeah. a gathering place, not so much for the drink. Although that is important. Customers have to book a table in advance and standing waiting at the bar is no longer allowed, with all custom now conducted by table service. That makes sense. Uh, with the public health situation improving, the reopening of pubs will be an indicator of Ireland's emergence from the lockdown, <laughs> says Donald O'Keefe. Uh, at Mary Max, a pub in South Dublin, regulars Angus Fleming savored his first pint of Guinness back at his local. It's great. I've been looking forward to this for a few months. It makes my life a little bit more real. Angus. Yeah. Ireland was one of the first European countries to enact strict lockdown provi- provisions after the pandemic took root in Italy. By mid-March, it had banned mass gatherings, strictly limited social interactions, and shut schools, universities, and child daycare centers. The early action is widely credited for limiting deaths in Ireland. Uh, the country's coronavirus death toll stands at seven, 1,735, and the total number of confirmed cases is just below 25,500. The coronavirus laid siege to almost all aspects of everyday life in Ireland, but perhaps the most symbolic in Ireland was the halting of the tradition of kissing the Blarney Stone for the first time in almost 600 years. On Monday, owner Charles Colthurst was the first to kiss the famous block of limestone, marking the occasion by wearing a jersey of Liverpool Football Club, (laughs) which last week won its first English league title in 30 years. You got a guy from Dublin wearing a, a Liverpool? Uh, well, they, 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 I mean, they have fans over there. Everybody watches the EPL, you know? Yeah. Um, there are some very difficult times ahead in the tourism industry, but hopefully this will start our journey 
over the coming years to try and grow our visitor numbers back to similar levels before the COVID situation, he said. An array of health and safety measures have been put in place, including using a cleanser that the owner of the Blarney Castle says is approved by the World Health Organization and kills 99.9% of the viruses, germs, bacteria that may be on the stone. Other measures include limiting the number of people coming on site, while the person holding someone kissing the stone will be wearing protective face shields and gloves. The gloves will be changed or cleaned after each person. Legend has it that uh, one of Colehurst's 15th century predecessors had a speech impediment and that the castle proprietor saved a witch drowning in the lake on castle grounds. The witch told him that he would receive a gift of eloquence if he kissed the stone, and a ritual was born, practiced, and repeated without obstacle until the virus came along. Yes, yeah, somebody's got to hold you in order to kiss it because you got to go over and you, it's 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 pretty far down. So somebody's got like a hold, got has to hold you like by the by the legs or hold on to you as you bend over and and get down to try to kiss the Blarney Stone. Have you ever kissed the Blarney Stone? Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. I'd be interested to see if you have. So we want to hear from you if you have kissed the Blarney Stone. Uh, 312-981-7200. Now, um, I saw the Blarney Stone, but I just, I have no, I, I, even before the the coronavirus, there was no way that I was going to kiss the Blarney Stone because I heard things about what, like, locals have done to it, and I still wouldn't, you know, even without the coronavirus, there was no way I was going to kiss the Blarney Stone. It's fun. It's there. It's awesome. There's a lot of history to it, obviously, as we just discussed. And Ireland is just a lovely, lovely place. And there are so many great things to do when you're in Ireland. So, all right, the Blarney Stone is open for business. Have you ever kissed it? 312-981-7200. We are now talking about uh, things that uh, travelers do that are annoying to the, re- to, the, uh, to, the, to the people who live there, to the locals. And are there any uh, things that uh, tourists do in Chicago that make you nuts? Tom, anything? Mm. Well, I wouldn't chalk this up to only tourists because some regular folks do it as well. But uh, crossing the Michigan Avenue Bridge. uh, Please don't stop in the middle of the pedway of that, you know, of the walking sidewalk to take pictures. I get it. It's a great it's a great place to look. Yep. It, it is an, an amazing view. That is objectively true. You yep. are correct. However, especially when we were over at Tribune, I you know, I got to sometimes get across that bridge. Yeah. But uh you know, it's it, people just stop well, in the middle of that, the bridge to, to take photos. Yeah, it's not just the bridge. It's everywhere downtown. That's yeah, that's, folks the, that's just the, stop the, in the look, middle of the sidewalk. I understand. I understand that this is a really beautiful city, and you want to take it in, and you want to take pictures, sure. and you want to record, you know, your visit to this wonderful city. But some of us, you know, we're we're trying to get to work, and especially mm-hmm. like you said, when we worked out of the Trib Tower, on Michigan Avenue is nuts. You know, people would just stop right in the middle. And 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 not only that, but the Trib Tower was a place where people would stop as well, right in the I mean, middle of the sidewalk. An amazing building. It's a beautiful, a beautiful building. building. Yeah. yeah, but still. Yeah, that's 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 one thing that that makes me nuts. Yeah, tourists and, just stopping right in the middle of, of downtown or right in the middle of Michigan Avenue. And I'm just gonna say, you know, uh, walk with purpose, people. Walk yeah. with purpose. I'm not. You don't have to sprint. You don't have to run. 
whatever you want to call it. But, you know, if you recognize that someone's trying to get somewhere, you know, just move off to the right a little bit. Right. And sure, I could stand to be a little bit more of a calm walker, but I don't know. Anytime I'm on my feet downtown, I'm like, all right, let's get to where we're going. Yeah. No no farting around. No, I agree. I agree. 312-981-7200. Are there things that tourists who come to Chicago do that make you nuts and who have you ever made a faux pas uh, during your travels? 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Um, so we've got 14 different countries are part of this this um, article that I have in front of me from insider.com. And it says people from 14 countries reveal the most annoying things that foreigners do when they visit. Tourists do get a bad rap. And while being a tourist can be great, it's really all about respecting the culture that you're exploring. Unfortunately, not every tourist does that. Um, So here's, here's the thing. We're going to talk about things that tourists repeatedly do in 14 countries that gets locals bloods to boil locals blood to boil. So 312-981-7200, two things. Uh, is there anything that tourists do in Chicago that make you nuts? And have you ever made a faux pas um, uh, and, and made a local a little bit angry in your travels? All right. 312-981-7200. We'll continue right after this. Hey, it's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, here till 4 o'clock as we are every weekday uh, morning and late night, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. 312-981-7200. That's our phone number. A little bit later on, uh, we're going to play another round of Know Your Onion. And um, uh, we played the Johnny Carson highlight. We're going to have Johnny Carson doing his Ronald Reagan uh, impression uh, and doing Who's on First as we play back classic Johnny Carson. You can watch Johnny Carson on Antenna TV every night. Phone number is 312-981-7200. We're talking about um, traveling. And some of the mistakes are annoying things that tourists do when they visit different countries or different places. Um, and so the the two questions I have that are out there right now, and if you want to jump in, it's 312-981-7200. Uh, what do tourists who are in Chicago do that uh, makes you kind of crazy? And have you ever made any faux pas uh, during your travels? 312-981-7200. Here's Steve on WGN. Hi, Steve. Hey, um, number one, Psytown drives me nuts. Uh, what? The one people refer to Chicago as Chi Town. Oh yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. And uh, people eating pizza with a fork. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just a couple summers ago, people wearing Willis Tower shirts. Wearing Willis I don't know Tower why, shirts. Just, that, that bothered me. Oh, okay. All right, thanks, Steve. Yep. Yep. You know, um, yeah, he said eating. Pizza with a fork. Well, if you're if you got the deep dish, you you, you kind of have to do that. Which you know, uh, that's why deep dish pizza is meant for tourists. <laughs> Real Chicago style pizza, thin crust, crispy thin crust, tavern style, cut in squares, as God intended. Uh, so here's Yoni on WGN. Hi, Yoni. Hey, Nick. Long-time listener, um, first-time caller. What actually annoyed me is not the tourists themselves, but their guide. He'd stop right in front of Union Station, like right in front of the doors, and like it was this point where he'd stop and talk to the group. Like, is there a better place he could talk to the group and sit in front of Union Station oh, and yeah. get the drink? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can understand that. I can understand that being annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's not yeah. so much the tourists, it's the guides. 
Yeah, the, the guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, I've been guilty of this myself. You know, if I'm in a different city, I'm taking a picture, looking something on my phone or something like that. But, yeah, just like stopping a group of 20 people right in front of the doors, really. Can you stop them yeah. somewhere else? Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks. Take care, Yoni. Yeah, thank you. Okay, buddy. Thank you. You yep. too. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Here's Bruce on WGN. Hey, Bruce. Hey, Nick. How you doing? All right. What's up? Hey, so I got a good story for you. So uh, my younger brother uh, got married two years ago in Italy. Okay. Um, and uh, we don't. Me and uh, my younger sister, my other brother, went over there for the wedding two years ago. And uh, she got married in a small town on the western side of the boot, about halfway down, maybe straight across from Rome. Okay. And uh, so we went out uh, the one night we were celebrating for the wedding. Went out for pizza that night. So we go to this small little restaurant in this small little town where they don't speak any English at all, and we didn't speak any Italian. And uh, we're trying to order from the menu, and my uh, arrogant, bullheaded brother, who's the, the epitome of the uh, arrogant American, was um, he wanted a separate check. He was adamant about getting a separate check just for himself. Oh. And uh, the poor waiter didn't know what the heck we were talking about, you know? Yeah. And uh, so we start arguing about it. I'm like, dude, what is your problem? Yeah, when, say that word, Bruce. All right. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't know. Um, so eventually I said, fine, pay for the whole check. I don't care. Yeah. Pay for the whole thing. So yeah, So um, he, ended yeah, up pay, he ended up paying for the whole thing. Yeah, whether he liked it or not, he paid for the whole thing. So. <laughs> All right. Okay, Bruce, thanks, buddy. See you, man. Okay. <laughs> I, I insist on a separate check. Yeah, you can't do Honestly, I'm going to say it. I think that's a dumb thing to do in general. Separate checks? Yeah, and I get it, but I think once you're over the age of 18, just figure something out. You know? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I, if, if you're like a teenager and nobody has enough money to cover the whole thing and who carries cash anymore, you know, I get it. I've done it. But um, now if I'm going to eat with somebody and it's table service, we just figure it out. Well... Yeah, just forget. it's also a pain in the neck for the for the restaurant and the server. Yeah, there's there's a million apps now on your phone. If you use a smartphone, if you're using a smartphone, there's a million apps you can do to send people money literally instantly. Yeah, in in seconds. Don't do the separate check. I'm trying to. I, I, um, I remember a, a, a group of us went out and and uh, like three people insisted on separate checks, and we were like, "Come on, man." Just we'll figure it out, man. Figure out who owes what. Just throw all the money in the you know, throw all the money in a pile. It's less you know, it's less stressful for the for the restaurant. It's it's certainly easier for the server who's got to deal with all that. So, uh, all right. So here are some uh, people from fourteen different countries who have revealed the most annoying things that foreigners do when they visit. Out of Denmark, it's getting in the way. Andreas Rosendahl Hansen hates tourists ignoring the simple Danish setup that differentiates the sidewalk from the bike path uh, from the road. Every summer, Copenhagen is flooded with tourists who, for some reason, do not spend five minutes surveying their surroundings to observe this simple setup. As a result, and as a result, wade directly into the bicycle path with their huge luggage, stop to take pictures, and etc. So that seems to be a, a problem in Denmark, too, not just in here. Denmark. Uh, he adds that tourists renting bikes that don't properly signal is even worse. If you rent a bike in Copenhagen as a tourist, which you absolutely should, 
uh, and don't do this. I hate you. <laughs> yeah, no, bike. I feel like a lot of folks don't know bike etiquette. I, I I would absolutely agree with you on that. Like, but I mean, for every you know, for every two pe- two three people that don't, there's one guy who you're on the road. And he's doing the hand signals, and you're like, yeah, okay, thank you, yeah, thank you for being a good guy. Appreciate you, but uh, especially people riding on the sidewalks. If yeah. you're not if you're not getting off in the next three feet, stay on the road. Yeah. Uh, here's Rich on WGN. Hi, Rich. Hey, how you doing? All right. Uh, so we were in Vancouver on our honeymoon, and we stopped at a little restaurant, nice place, you know, and we were doing some shopping, and the place is really crowded. And my wife goes to buy something, and it was just a couple bucks by us, and he says, there'll be two loonies. And as she hands over the coins, I see that there's the clean on the coin. And I said, hey, you guys make fun of the queen here, calling her a loony? And everybody in the whole, re- whole place stopped. <laughs> and they all looked at me and stared at me. And he's like, oh, my God, no, you know. Look on the back. And on the back, there's two two loons. Yeah. Bert. And yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. <That's, laughs> they were all like, it was like silence in the whole that's place. That's hilarious. Like staring at me. You guys call uh, the queen a loony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I <laughs> That's good. All right. Okay, Rich. Thanks, buddy. That's a good story. Oh, man. You call the queen a loony? No, they, they take the queen seriously as up in Canada, as far as I can tell. Yeah. All right. In India, going on yoga retreats, Siddharth Agarwal from India says he hates it when foreigners come to India to practice yoga in the most idiotic way, perform tantric sexual practices, and allow fake and uneducated gurus uh, in search of peace. He says the gurus Westerners come to uh, India for are often fake and uneducated. These people know nothing about meditation and yoga, and that yoga is a business here in India and uh, not a way of finding inner peace. Wow. It seems so annoying and idiotic that foreigners come to India searching for peace and inner self and end up with these funny and business-minded gurus who teach them to wear Indian ethnic wear and have sex in the open and take drugs to free yourself. (laughs) So you figure if you're in India, well, I got to take advantage of this. How about Italy not following the rules? Gianmarco Prite says, foreigners are pretty convinced that Italy is a lovely land without laws, and (laughs) and they think that they can do everything they want. Well, let me tell you a tiny little thing. You can't. You can't have a bath in the Trevi Fountain. You can't pee in the streets in the middle of the night. You can't climb several statues that adorn our historic centers. Um, and he also hates it when foreigners assume every everyone speaks English. Oh, there you go. We just had that little issue. Uh, and when they order Americanized Italian food like pineapple pizza... Fettuccine Alfredo and spaghetti with meatballs. <laughs> wow. Pineapple pizza is beyond... That's oh, just beyond... you me. can't do that. I mean, you can't... First of all, you shouldn't do that here in America. No. Let alone Italy. Oh, my God. Jeez. Thailand, taking pictures with tigers. The Tiger Temple west of Bangkok, Thailand. Uh, Belay Buniporn who lives in Bangkok, hates it when tourists take pictures with drugged tigers. 
Uh, the act of utilizing wild animals as photo props to gain social validation on your social media uh, is genuinely deplorable, despite how innocuous it may seem on the surface, she says, explaining that utilizing wild animals as a tourist attraction is beyond sinister and the treatments inflicted upon them are simply barbaric. Uh, a lot of people probably I'm not are not aware of that. But I wouldn't mm-hmm. take a picture with a drugged-up tiger no. or a, a non-drugged-up tiger. I've taken a picture with a drugged-up uh, python, but uh, I think that was for my own with safety. Michael Palin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Terry Gilliam on a bender? <laughs> Jeez. Oh, boy. Quick on the uptake today. Yeah, hey. man. All right. Um, <laughs> drugged up tigers. That makes me sad. I mean, it's, yeah. this, is, this, is, this is a thing that happens all over the world. Yeah. Where animals are all hopped up on drug juice, and it's not good. It's cruel. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the scientific name, drug juice. Hopped up on drug juice. Yeah. Hey, kid. <laughs> You want, you want to try I, some drug I juice? I got some drug juice here in my in my in my pocket. You've always been drinking drugs. <laughs> All right, uh, we have more countries complaining about what tourists do that make them nuts. And uh, do you have any complaints about tourists coming to Chicago and what they do that makes you nuts? Or have you ever made a faux pas uh, in your travels? Hey, Nick DeGilio here on seven twenty WGN live in the Skyline Studio. We're here until uh, four. Yeah. Hey, Super uh, Superman, Christopher Reeves' Superman cape is now at auction. Is there anything that you want to, uh, is anything that you're looking for in, for a collection at an auction? Would you pay money for that kind of stuff? Also, uh, we're going to hear uh, Johnny Carson do his Ronald Reagan and uh, also do the who, Who's on First routine. That's from our classic Johnny Carson collection. And at 3.30, we uh, are going to play a round of Know Your Onion. That's where you call in, and the first two listeners in become our contestants. They each play around. Tom will read a news headline, and you have to um, guess whether it is real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. And the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. All right, we're talking about uh, some travel stuff here. And uh, some countries that are talking about the most annoying things that tourists do when they get there. And do you have any uh, do you have any annoyances about uh, tourists that come to Chicago and what they do and it makes you nuts? Or have you made a uh, a faux pas yourself during your travels? Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. All right, in Norway, getting too close to glaciers. Arv Loken says that glaciers in Norway have fences and warning signs for a reason because they routinely routinely kill people. Most people know that sheer drops and wild rivers are dangerous, but when natural phenomena are fenced off in Norway, it means that they are way more dangerous than you can fathom, he says. So for the love of all you hold, you hold dear, stay on the right side of the fence uh, uh, near the glacier. Why would you do that? You know? I mean, there's a there's a fence and warning signs there. People just ignore it. Didn't a woman take like a selfie? Tried to take a selfie with a gorilla, 
and uh, the gorilla like grabbed her because she was like by it was yeah she like I think she like climbed over a fence or something to take a picture with a gorilla or something. Oh, wait, people are so stupid sometimes. You ever been to Norway? No, but I I've always wanted to go. Yeah, I've always wanted to spend time in the Nordic countries, not just because in Denmark they invented Legos. They did, didn't they? That'd be pretty cool. It'd be pretty cool to see where the Legos get made. Remember my dad's joke from a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. Lining up for blocks. The Lego store <laughs> reopened and they're lining up for blocks. <laughs> you ever step on a Lego? Far too many times. Really? Far too many times. A lot of Lego. I grew up with two brothers. There was a lot of Legos in the house. Mm. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. No, Norway. It's. I'd try that. I wonder if they could have a, if I could go to like a Viking sort of experience thing. A Viking experience? Yeah. You know, you know how we have, there's like civil war reenactments. Oh yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to go to Norway and on the open fjord have guys dressed as Vikings just go berserk and fight each other with like, you know, fake weapons and like, stuff. Like uh like when you go to a renaissance fair. Yeah. And, or or uh, medieval times. Okay. So here's the plan. I move to Norway. I open up a medieval times style thing, but it's it's Vikings. And we serve nothing but uh, you know, raw meat and the severed heads of our enemies. Ah. Have you seen these this tag team in the WWE? Are they Vikings? Yes. What's their deal? What's their name? The Viking, uh, the the Viking somethings. If you just Google Vikings WWE, you'll see them. Um, yeah, they come out with the, with the, you know, dressed up like Vikings and there are a couple of big guys, big fat guys with, uh, I mean, impressive beards. The Viking Raiders? That's it. The Viking Raiders. That's them. Oh my God. Very popular tag team in the WWE. Very cool. With a Viking theme. I wonder if they've ever been to Norway. I, I doubt they're. I th- my guess is they're from, you know, like Pittsburgh or something. <laughs> <laughs> Two dudes from Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, the Viking a, Raiders. It's a gimmick, man. It's the WWE. At least come from Minnesota if you're going to do that, you know. Yeah. A Viking. By the way, have you been? Have you watched Raw at all? I have, I have been so off my wrestling game, it's a little embarrassing. Seth Rollins has turned into... A maniac heel, like I he like that. his no, cool. he's he's trust me, he's reveling in it. But he is a heel with a capital heel. Like they took Ray, he took Ray Mysterio's eye and smashed it in the corner of the steps that go into the ring, and it looked real. Now Ray Mysterio's got like a patch in one of his in, 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 over his eye and his with his mask. He tried to do the same thing to Ray Mysterio's son. Ray Mysterio Jr. No, Dominic. Oh yeah, Dominic. Yeah, Dominic Mysterio. But yeah, no, he's a, he's a he's a he's loving this. You could tell he's loving this heel thing. It's more fun. Oh yeah, it's way more fun. You get to do way cheesier mic yeah. work. Yeah. Now it's they awesome. do have a limited crowd now, right? And they have the big plastic panels up mm-hmm. between the crowd and the wrestlers. Um, and most of the, a lot of the people I was watching Raw a little bit on Monday, and a lot of people in the audience were wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, it's still just kind of, it still just kind of weirds me out that, you know, 
you know, like the refs and wrestling and you know, people wrestling and stuff like that. No masks, none of that stuff. It's still like, it's still a little weird to watch. Well, you know, maybe they could go a little bit more in the direct direction of the luchadors. Now, granted, they have they have masks. They have masks, yeah. but they uh, they've got the mouth openings there. So yeah, I don't know. Put a filter on it. <laughs> Put a filter on your luchador mask. Ah, my filter's not working. And I got. I think I got a sleeve of coffee filters in my car. That'll that work. Should, that'll do it. Okay, in the UK, they don't like people talking loudly on the tube. Is that? Oh, you're shaking your head. Yes, it is. This is uh, a cuss. It's it's similar in the UK and in Japan. They both have this big thing with talking on the on the tube, talking on their public transit. Don't do it. Be quiet. Shut up. Just don't talk. Really? Yeah, because one, the the tube during um, peak hours is like sardines. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I know we here in the city, I love the CTA. It's, I think, the most robust public transit system in the, in the country. Gets you the most number of places in the shortest amount of time. Uh, and we've all been on a packed, you've, you've been yes, on a packed CTA train. Absolutely. It stinks. This is even worse. This is 10 times worse because London is how many times bigger than Chicago? Mm-hmm. Like four times bigger population and people are just crammed. So don't talk. Just don't say a word. Don't be loud. Don't be drunk and disorderly. Simon Millward says that he's annoyed by foreigners talking loudly on the tube, especially during rush hour, as you were just saying. Uh, we are not there for fun, nor really out of choice. We're all tired because we're English, so at least 50% of us are nursing hangovers. <laughs> <laughs> we're British. We don't like talking or loud people uh, at the best of times. So we plead, so please, shh, and hush your noise. Um, do you ever do you ever get have you ever been on the CTA and get what I like to call I don't know if I I feel like I coined this phrase once but an uh, an evangelist. What do you mean? Uh, a guy a guy that starts preaching the word. Oh yeah. Oh L L is in L V L. Okay, evangelist. Yeah. Okay, I didn't I didn't yeah. catch on to that right away. There you go. Oh yeah, of course. I love a good evangelist. Yeah, of course. You learn a lot. You learn a lot about the Bible. You learn a lot about your soul. And, uh, you know, it entertains you until you get to your next stop. Yeah, not so much for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the people, who, the people who get on the L, you know, and I realize that they're, you know, it's, it's really annoying because you're trapped on the L and a panhandler comes on, makes a big speech, and then goes up to everybody to try and get money. You know the number of people that, like, immediately dive into their book? Yeah, you know, or <laughs> crank up their their uh, their their, uh, their buds. Yeah, or all of a sudden they root around for something in their backpack. Exactly. Or they they grab their groceries. Huh? The back of this shampoo bottle is super interesting yeah. right now. It sucks if you don't have any of any distractions. Like if you if you're on the CTA. Yeah. You don't have you know you don't have a Walkman. Walkman. What about what is it? Nineteen eighty. Lord. Uh, Get your headphones. In. You don't have your headphones, and uh, you don't have a book or anything to read. Mm-hmm. And then boom. Well, I'll say it. You know, if I have a buck on me, I'll I'll just be like, here you go, man. Just take it. Just whatever. But yeah. I, it's it's a lot because you, you do get the whole speech. Well, and they and they go from car to car. Yeah. You know, uh, if you're on the L, obviously they mm-hmm. go from car to car. Um, you know, you're not supposed to do that. No, not unless it's an emergency. I've done it. 
I am terrified. I've ne- I've had friends try to convince me to do it. They're like, "Come on, man, let's go." Ugh. You know, going from car to car, I plant my butt where I am, and if they go ahead of me, I'll just wait till the next stop and quickly do a runner to the next car. <laughs> to the next car. Yeah, and the, I can tell you that the uh, the conductor's like, "What the hell is this yeah. white boy doing?" <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, I would never do it. I'm terrified of it. It's 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 how how you're afraid of heights. Yeah, well, and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I've done it mostly on a subway though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just you get the sparks flying. You couldn't pay me. You couldn't pay me. Uh, to do yeah, it. I mean, I grew up. Listen, man, I grew up on the L. You did literally, uh, seriously. I mean, it, right, right next to my bedroom window, Addison Brown Line stop, like literally right next to my bedroom window. It was fifty odd years ago that Nick DeGilio was born. On yeah, a red on, on a Brown Line train. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, I would I, you know, my dad and I would go to the Loop on the L all the time on yeah. Sunday mornings. I, I, every, I, I traveled everywhere by 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 the L. It's like I said, I love it. It's great. Um, but <laughs> please don't walk between the, the yeah. Doors. You're not supposed to do that. I, I, did, I did. I have you know. I, I haven't been on L in a really long time. But as a as a as a as a, an actual adult, I've not done it. But when I was younger, I did. So all right, we got more uh, things that annoy the hell out of uh, re- locals um, uh, that travelers do. And if you want to jump in, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Leo Sayre? Yes, sir. Oh, good old Leo Sayre. He had some hair. <laughs> uh, hey, it's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. Um, I love doing this shift, man. I love the listeners. It's just great. Um, and here till 4, and then at 4 o'clock we'll head over to uh, Bradley Place on the TV side of WGN. And uh, we'll get some uh, great news and information from those great people. And then at 5 o'clock, it's the legendary Bob Surratt. You know Bob Surratt's a legend, don't you? Um, yes. I used to listen to Bob Surratt when I was a kid, not to age him. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a rock jock man on uh, the Big 89. I, I'll, I'll say this. When Bob Surratt... Came back to WG and I was like, well, I got to learn more about this guy because obviously he was, he'd moved on to other things by the time I was really listening to radio. And I didn't, you know, I didn't get the WLS AM experience. It was a, it was huge. It was wild. Yeah, it was huge. It was wild. But I watched uh, <laughs> some TV interviews with him and uh, Super Jock himself, Larry Lujak. Oh, Larry. And there was some bit that where Bob. <laughs> He's like, when Larry Lujak made the jump to LS, Yeah, he says, by the way, uh, Larry, we wanted to get you, me and the boys wanted to get you a little present. Uh, since you're doing the morning, or, so, or do, you're doing this shift, uh, we, you might not get time to shower in the morning, so uh, we got you this. And he hands him a, like a speed stick, <laughs> and I couldn't stop laughing. I'm like, this guy, is he's crazy. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, well. Yeah, Bob Surratt coming up at uh, at five o'clock. Uh, it's Nick DeGilio here on seven twenty WGN, and we're talking about some traveling stories here. Um, there's an article where fourteen countries reveal the most annoying things that foreigners do when they visit, and uh, we wanted to, to hear from you if you find some things that tourists do in Chicago that drive you nuts. We talked about people standing still, like on Michigan Avenue or the Michigan Avenue Bridge, uh, as you're trying to walk. As being uh, kind of annoying. 
But if you have anything, 312-981-7200, or if you um, you made a faux pas while you were traveling. Uh, we'll talk a little bit later on about uh, Christopher Reeve's Superman cape, which is now at auction, and then talk about some of those holy grail items that you would like to obtain, even if you have to uh, do it within an auction. So uh, 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Coming up in just uh, about 20 minutes or so, we play back classic Johnny Carson clips every morning at 2.30 on the show. You can watch uh, the Johnny Carson show on um, Antenna TV every night, and uh, we love to play a little bit of comedy from there. So we're going to have uh, 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 the Carson comedy coming up, and it's uh, Johnny Carson's imitation of Ronald Reagan doing Who's On First. And um, and then we got a round of Know Your Onion. Hey, by the way, uh, can we just say uh, congratulations to Andy Mazur? Andy Mazur's the new play-by-play guy on the radio uh, for the for the White Sox. Couldn't it couldn't happen to a nicer guy? He is such a nice guy, and he's so good at what he does. He knows sports backwards and forwards. He's a great sportscaster, and a and a really really good guy. And I think it's worth mentioning how good of a photographer he is as well. He is yes. Rem- I did not know this for a long time, and uh, I would used to work Sundays with Dean Richards. That would yeah. produce that show. Yeah. And one day there was a particularly beautiful sunrise and I saw him over in the other studio, like getting his phone just right, you know, trying to get right up against the glass so he didn't get the glare or something like that. I was like, what are you doing, man? He's like, oh, I'm taking a picture. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, you, you really into <laughs> photography or something? You're budding, you're budding uh, Annie Leibovitz? And he says, actually, yeah. And he yeah. showed me his website. I was like, dude, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. So yeah. no, he's, he's, uh, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to work with Andy for a long time and, and, uh, he loves sports and, um, I'll never forget the night the Cubs won the world series. They were on the stu- the, on the floor, on the studio on the seventh floor, watching the, watching the game. And when they won the world series, uh, Andy, f- he fell out of his chair. He fell out of the chair onto the floor. Wish I could have seen that. I wasn't here. I was oh, at yeah. home. I was at home. But you got the you got the story second. Oh yeah, no, because I got when I got there, they were still on. Right. We t- I mean, right. obviously, you know, we were on that night, and all we talked about was the Cubs. Yeah. You know, I mean, the Cubs won the World Series, so of course that's the the entire show. Yeah. I had my Mickey Morandini jersey on. There you go. I've told you the story about when I had Morandini on the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I so I said, yeah, you know, I've got a Mickey Morandini jersey, and Morandini goes, well, that makes two of us. <laughs> I love Mickey Morandini. He's a cool guy. Oh, I love him. Very cool guy. Yeah. Terrific baseball player. All uh, right, here's Terry on WGN. Hi, Terry. Hey, Dick. How are you? All right, what's up? I got a kind of an unusual question for you, but it's one that I've been kind of thinking about off and on for a while since I've been listening to your show for you know pretty pretty religiously for the last you know six months or so. And I completely agree with you about the experience of listening to overnight for all the reasons that you've given and you know creates an intimacy and there's all kinds of reasons people are up listening yeah and your show is oriented around those kinds of things and i you seem uniquely and ideally situated for an overnight show the question i had for you was in the event let's just go completely hypothetical here in the event that wgn or any other station were to offer you a a prime time slot in the afternoon or the evenings, maybe for more money, 
maybe not for more money, but a what I guess would say more um, high profile type of a slot. Okay. Would you would you consider switching? Terry? And if so, how do you think the show would be different? Terry, I've been offered three or four times, and I've I've said no. Okay. I've been offered a different time slot, and I've said no. Um, so uh, this is where I want to be. I love I love the overnights, and uh, like you said, Terry, I believe I'm suited for it. And I grew up listening to overnight radio. Like seriously, I would have the radio on all night long, and goes back to guys like Eddie Schwartz, and, uh, and obviously Stephen Johnny, and uh, and so forth. But uh, no, they, I've been offered in the past when some people have left. You know, they they've said, "Would you like this time slot?" And I I always would say no. Yeah, I think that's that's a big reason why you're so successful, Nick. You you know who you are, you know who your audience is, you know what you do best, and that's the reason probably probably why you're going to be successful successful for a long time. Wow. You're not chasing stuff that isn't that isn't you, right? And I think, like I said, I think you're one of the best overnight hosts I've ever listened well, to. Well, I appreciate that for a long time. I, I I really appreciate that, Terry. Thank you very much. Thank you, man. Okay, take care. That was nice. It's funny though. I have filled in. Uh, it's it's funny over the because I've been doing this for a long time, obviously. But over the years, I have filled in on every possible time slot. I've done I've done every I've done every possible time slot as a fill in. And this was back when I would work on weekends only. You know, when I was doing my uh, my late night shows on the weekends, if someone took a vacation, they would say, "Hey, you want to do this?" And I've done every time slot. And this is the one I like the most. I like the listeners who listen. It's intimate. And uh, I just, I love doing the overnights. So, all right, we've got more countries that get mad at what tourists do when they visit, like talking on the, talking loudly on the tube. You're saying it wrong. Tube. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Tube? Yeah, tube. That's how you say it with the accent. All right. (laughs) Okay, uh, 312-981-7200. It's Nick DeGilio on WGN. Yeah, man. Classic video. Yeah. You know, the summer of 1983, that's when uh, this came out. Synchronicity came out. Summer of 1983. You couldn't get away from it. That's when the police really blew up. Um, I saw them at Comiskey. They kicked off their, uh, their synchronicity tour at Comiskey. And it was The Fix, Flock of Seagulls, Ministry, back when Ministry sounded like Depeche Mode. And, of course, Joan Jett, who got booed off the stage, even though she rules. But, you know, that's a very, it's a very, you know, it's a very weird lineup for her to be a part of. I was just upset that they, you know, because I loved, I loved Joan Jett. Yeah, and it was packed. It was at Comiskey. People were nuts. And then I saw him, I think, three more times on that tour. So, God, the police. Such a great band. How about that Sting, huh? How good was he in Dune? <laughs> so, uh, 312-981-7200. We're talking about uh, countries that are revealing the most annoying things that foreigners do when they visit. And if you uh, get annoyed by some of the tourists here in Chicago, what about those? Do you Do you, do you go nuts? Here's Donna on WGN. Go ahead, Donna. Hi, Nick. Hi. My boss went uh, to Sweden with her family for two weeks, and when she came back, 
she she spent at least a month regaling us with the fact that she could not find a place in Sweden that served breakfast as as we know it. Ham and eggs just doesn't exist in in Sweden. They eat sandwiches. They eat fish. Mm-hmm. They, they eat all sorts of different foreign things. And I thought that was one of the reasons you went to a different country. Yeah, you would think, right? Instead, she wanted to completely Howard Johnson her vacation. Yeah, it's like, I want an American breakfast. Well, you're not in America. That's one of the reasons why when you started talking about your Irish breakfast, you got such a, a, a different uh, response. Blood, blood, blood. And, blood pudding. And sausage and, yeah. And, and, you know, it's like... You have different people. Beans, baked beans. You have baked beans, beans for breakfast. breakfast. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny because you really have to be open to how other people do things, and a lot of times you get that kind of ugly American stamp on your forehead. Yeah. Because you're not very flexible about such things. Yeah, it's true. It is true. Okay, Donna. Great story. Thanks for the call. Thanks, Dick. Okay. 312-981-7200. Now, you lived abroad in some, in some in some different places. That is true. That, uh, what was the, the strangest food that you've ever eaten? Um, I had live octopus. You had live octopus? Yeah. Like, like an old boy? Yeah, no, exactly like old boy. Oh, my God. I even had to fight my way out of a trunk, you know? Um, <laughs> no, it's... <laughs> <laughs> for all you old boy fans out yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. For, for all you a, Korean cinema that's fans a, that's out there. A, that's a reference. <laughs> no, no, that's a Spike Lee movie. <laughs> oh, just, just don't. I, I'm not doing this with you. This, I will no, say listen, that. I'm joking. I, I, that's one of the, oh, the, God, one of the most unnecessary and horrible uh, remakes of all time. Yeah, but Live Octopus, yes. Um, How does one... I mean, what do you... What? Why? It's kind of just... Why? Because it's delicious. A live octopus is delicious. I've had octopus. I've never had it raw. I've never yeah. had it live. It's just, it's, I can't, I couldn't even tell you how it was prepared. You can't say cooked. What do you mean really prepared? Cooked. It's just, it's, what is it? What well, no, they, I mean, they, they would, there was a little <laughs> bit of like glaze, you know? Uh huh. And it was just, I don't know, it was just tasty. Where was this? This was in, uh, we, we were briefly in Japan. We were up in, we were up in Japan. Okay. Because I was living in Singapore at the time. Um, what kind of stuff did you eat in Singapore? In Singapore, I mean, it's it's really pretty modern. Um, yeah. It's very westernized. Like, they have McDonald's. They have Burger King. Of They've course got they all do. the stuff. And being an American kid, I did, like, crave that sort of thing. But I did have, um, many people have probably had satay. That's, now I've that's, had that. Now, that's common throughout a lot of Southeast yeah. Asia. They do it differently. Yep. Uh, but rat satay is definitely an interesting flavor. Rat Saute. Rat saute. Uh-huh. Yes. Very meaty. Uh little little gamey. You think? Yeah. Um <laughs> I remember that having having rat saute. That was when I tried duck for the first time, which is obviously not strange. People eat duck all the time. Yeah. But it was particularly good duck. Um I think it was like Peking duck style sort of thing. Yeah. Uh I'm trying to think of some other weird, weird stuff. I've had kangaroo. Kangaroo what does kangaroo taste like? chicken <laughs> no it's it's uh it's 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 close to beef yeah but it's it's um a, a completely different consistency you know considering sure. that cows don't have insane muscles yeah and jump around so it's a it, it it takes a little bit more work to cook it i can see that 
But it was tasty. Yeah. yeah. I've always wanted to try I had, re- it. I had it in a restaurant in Wisconsin. <laughs> they, had well, ca- they had kangaroo on the, on, the, on the menu at a restaurant in Wisconsin. So either they got, there are three options there. They got it shipped to them. Yeah. They are raising kangaroos in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, yeah. Yeah, the rare Wisconsin kangaroo. Uh-huh. Or they're lying to you. And it's not And kangaroo. it's not kangaroo. Yeah. I'm going to say it's either they're raising live kangaroos in Wisconsin. I really doubt. I really doubt. I really <laughs> doubt that. Um, but yeah, we were at a we were in a small town called Johnsburg. Johnsburg, Was Wisconsin. Was Johnsburg? No. We used to go there because they had like uh, my my first wife and I would go to the, to go to like a bed and breakfast uh, mm-hmm. uh, up in Wisconsin. There, this small town. I can't remember the name of the town now. Mm-hmm. Because she loved antiquing. Oh, and a good, good antiquing. Place. Oh my god! It was a small, just a small town. Yeah, uh, really nice, beautiful, sure. n- nice bed and breakfast, idyllic. Yeah, and uh, just loaded with antique places That's where you great. can where you can antique. That's where I got a lot of my Schlitz stuff. I think it's called Johnsburg. I I can't remember. Is it is anybody? If anyone knows, it's a small town. That's where I went into the bar because there was a bar right next to the, the bed and breakfast. And I went in and asked for a Schlitz, and everybody almost killed me. That's because Schlitz had taken and moved everything, including the Schlitz Museum, to Detroit. Even though it's the beer that made Milwaukee famous. But yeah, would you would now let me let me throw this out because there is a, there is a Johnsburg, Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, do you remember it being close to Lake Winnebago? I don't remember relatively or Fond du Lac. You know that uh, that'd be the next largest place. Fond du Lac. Fond du Lac. Yeah. You know where, you know who's from Fond du Lac, right? I, no. Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. No. Johnny B. Oh, really? He's from Fond du Lac. Yeah. Johnny B. Yeah. So. Yeah, but there is a, it's a small. I think it's Johnsburg. I'm pretty sure it's that's what the name of the place was. But they, they it's a wonderful little little town. They had a nice bed and breakfast that we stayed at, and um, and my my ex wife was in heaven because you know she just loves antiquing, and this place was like loaded with places where you can antique. So, but yeah, I made a, I made the mistake of uh, loudly asking for a Schlitz in a bar right after they kind of took everything away and took the business away. And jobs and stuff like that, and brought it over to Detroit. That was a big mistake. So I, 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 I immediately ordered a Miller product after that mistake. Could it possibly have been Newburgh? Newburgh? Does that ring a bell? Uh, right on the Milwaukee River. I don't. I don't know. I think yeah. it's Johnsburg. I think. I think the town that I'm talking about is Johnsburg. Yeah. If someone be, knows, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. That'll be slightly north of. Uh, and it's. I mean, it's really small. It is very. It was very, it's, very small, and it actually really wasn't far from Milwaukee. I just remember it not being very far from. It felt like it. Like once you got there, you know, you felt like you were miles away from anywhere. Oh well, then it might not have been Johnsburg because Johnsburg is quite a bit, quite a bit north. I, I yeah, I don't. It was. But you had was, kangaroo, and it was. I had kangaroo. It was a it different was, vibe. It was a different thing. <laughs> yeah. I'd l- I'd love to try snake, like a snake. I've soup. never tried it. I've never tried it. Sounds like a good time. Yeah, I don't know. What's that movie where? Oh, Capricorn. You ever see Capricorn? Yeah, you saw Capricorn. Yeah, one. yeah. You know the scene where James Brolin has to slice open the snake and eat it raw after he kills it. 
because he's out in the middle of the desert. He's got to eat something or he's going to die. Sounds tasty to me. That's a great movie. All right. Um, so we're talking about more things that people find annoying from different countries that tourists do. Um, are you a bad tourist? <laughs> are you a good tourist? 312-981-7200 uh, right here on WGN. Okay, uh, we'll, get, we'll get back to this conversation about uh, things that tourists do that annoy uh, people who are locals. And we'll get back to that conversation uh, with you at 312-981-7200. But after the break, we return and we play our classic comedy bit from Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson Show every night on Antenna TV. And tonight you're going to hear Johnny doing Ronald Reagan and who's on first. And that's up after this. All right. Hello, Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio. We're here until uh, 4 o'clock. We have another round of Know Your Onion coming up at 3.30. That's where you call in. First two people in will be the contestants. They'll play a round each. Tom will read a news headline, and you have to decide whether it's real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. And uh, if you get the majority of them correct, you win. It's that simple. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Um, We're going to be talking about Christopher Reeve's Superman cape, which is now uh, at auction. And if you've ever uh, got something at auctions, we want to hear from you on that, if if you've ever won something at an auction. So uh, that's coming up. 312-981-7200 is the phone number if you would like to join us. Every uh, weekday morning at 2.30-ish. We play back some classic Johnny Carson. The Johnny Carson Show can be seen uh, every night on Antenna TV, and we like to play clips back. Uh, we're, gonna, we're about to hear uh, Johnny Carson doing his Ronald Reagan, and who's on first? So let's hear that. Well, now, would you, would you send in Jim Baker, please? Morning, Mr. President. Well, good morning, Jim. Just, just sit down there. Yes, sir. Mr. President, your press conference is scheduled to begin in an hour, so we only have a short time for me to brief you on the kind of subjects that the press may throw at you. Well, now, the, the environment is on their minds, and I'm, well, I'm sure they'll ask me about my Secretary of the Interior. What? I said, I'm sure they'll ask me about my Secretary of the Interior. What? Jim, I just told you I think they'll ask about my Secretary of the Interior. James what? You're scheduled to go swimming with him tomorrow morning at the Y. Where? Why? Why? That's right. With what? With what? I don't even know with who, Jim. Not who. What? Well, now, Jim, let's let's get this straight. I'm I'm going swimming tomorrow with with who? What? Where? Why? Jim, let's, uh... Jim, let's go on to the the Middle East now. I'll uh, I'll need the the first name of the head of the PLO that uh, that Arafat guy. Yes, sir. I said I'll, I'll need the first name of the head of the, of the PLO. Yes, sir. 
Jim, it's, it's nice of you to be polite, but, uh... But, uh... What is his name? No, sir. Yes, sir. Well, now, you're, you're giving me two different answers, Jim. Now, what is his name? No, sir. Yes, sir. Well, now, I... I ask you, what is the first name of the head of the PLO, and you tell me, no, sir. That's right. Then you tell me, yes, sir. Absolutely. You got it. I got what? He's the Secretary of the Interior. Jim, I don't understand why you're doing this to me. Oval Office, Baker. Yes? You have the head of the Republic of China calling for the president. Premier Chung Dung Hu. Hold on. Mr. President, who's on the phone? Well, now, Jim, I don't know who's on the phone. That is correct. What's correct? No, he's your Secretary of the Interior. Now, Jim, let's, let's start all over here very quietly. Just, just tell me, Jim, who is on the phone? Who is on the phone? Who? Yes, sir. That Arafat guy is on the phone, Jim? No, sir. Who is? What? Swimming tomorrow morning at the Y. Oh, that's great. You recognize the guy who played Jim Baker? Yeah, I think he was just one of the Carson uh, Mighty Arts players. That's what he had. You know, you know that was his group of actors that he... Oh, it's uh, Fred Holiday. Fred Holiday playing uh, Jim Baker. That was funny. It was very good. That's very, very, good. very funny. Uh, good old Johnny Carson. His Reagan is great. Great. Well, there you go, man. You can't uh, you can't do better than Johnny Carson. He's just the best. On uh, the Johnny Carson show, you can uh, watch every night on Antenna TV, and uh, we play clips uh, every uh, morning here on the show at two thirty. And uh, remember the great Johnny Carson. So, all right, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. We'll do it again tomorrow morning. Um, and we're talking about uh, countries that are revealing the most annoying things that foreigners do when they visit. Um, here's Mel on WGN. Hey, Mel. Hey, Nick. Uh, first of all, that was really classic. I mean, that was great stuff. Yeah. What What year, roughly, would you say that was? Well, it's got to be the 80s, because Reagan yeah. was president. Yeah, it was 1982. 1982. 1982. Yeah. Okay. Um, that small t- uh, for a couple things. That small town in Wisconsin, might that, and the name Reedsburg, ring a bell? Uh, because there's a town called Reedsburg that I definitely know of. It might be a little uh, Norman Rockwell Museum or whatever because I'm a big Rockwell fan. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that doesn't that sound, sound right, right to me. Yeah, I, but it's R-E-E-D-S-B-U-R-G. Okay, and in terms of impolite, <laughs> this, that, and the other, one of the countries out there, you better not cross one leg over the other. It's impolite, especially if you were in a public uh, place or if you were uh, uh, with with uh, people or just uh, speaking to a commoner or what to a person uh, but uh, you don't cross one leg over the other where and i don't know oh, okay i All right. don't i'm sorry i don't know but especially you know because you don't want to show anybody the bottom of your shoe oh 
Okay. okay. Well, so, well, maybe somebody knows where that is. That's, but I, that's why I thought I'd just bring it up. Yeah. Okay. So, thanks, thanks, Mel. Mel. Uh, Nick, a pleasure, man. Okay. okay. 312-981-7200 if you know that. You can't cross your legs. You can't show the bottom of your shoe. That's pretty specific. Right? Uh, can't show the bottom of your shoe. All right. Never heard that one before. Uh, in Australia, they're annoyed when people are driving on the wrong side of the road. Well, yeah. <laughs> I get annoyed here. Ellie Lucia from Australia finds it annoying when foreigners drive on the wrong side of the road. Well, I can I can definitely find, uh, realize why that's annoying, because it's also dangerous. In Australia, we drive on the left. For most of the world, they drive on the right. She says, ranting that it's dangerous when tourists inexperienced with driving on the left take the wheel. Reese Ansa agrees and says it's even worse when they complain that Australians drive on the wrong side of the road. Uh, no, actually, you're doing that. <laughs> All right. Indonesia renting motorcycles is an annoyance. Rewan Win Arto of Indonesia claims that in Southeast Asia, the roads are basically semi-wild, wild west and full of potholes. And they lack rules. To locals, amateur tourists renting motorcycles is mostly a hugely dangerous obstacle. Yeah, that doesn't sound too good. Does it, Tom? No. <laughs> Always be careful uh, when renting a vehicle in any other country because you might not be familiar with the fact that, like the left side of the road thing, uh, when you go to the UK, just don't rent a car. Just don't rent a car because the driver's side will be on the opposite side. Yeah. And uh, even if you're good with manual, if you can drive, you know, drive stick shift, you have to do it with your left hand, not your right. Yeah. Well, you know, when, when we went to Ireland, we rented a car. Um, and, uh, it took, it took a while for my ex-wife to get used to it. It was really weird to be on the, you know, for me sitting on the left side. It'll throw you off. Yeah. And it took a while. It took a while. I'm not going to say it was, it was, it, it was not difficult because it was very difficult for her to get used to it. Once she did, she was okay. You know, um, and it wasn't like we were driving. We, we we didn't do a lot of driving in in any cities. You know, we did on the on the on the on the highways and stuff, just to get to where we were. And then we we parked the car and walked everywhere that we went to in the destinations that we went. But yeah, it wasn't. It was weird, man. When we first got in the car, it was just weird. You panic a little bit because oh yeah, no no. She was nervous. I was like, what's going on? You know. And uh, it took her a while. It was uh, she had to pull over a couple of times and just like you know to get her bearings. But then, you know, she got used to it. And didn't, we didn't do a ton. Like I said, we didn't do a ton of driving inside in, in, in the destinations that we went to. Like once we got to places like Galway, the car was parked, and then you know, we were on foot the rest of the time. We didn't drive. We certainly didn't drive through Dublin. Just to get to, we, we had to get to our bed and breakfast. That's the only time we drove. And they have those. Uh, Roundabouts. Roundabouts, too. Yeah. Um, sometimes if... It, I mean, obviously, we have some roundabouts in, in the United States. They're yeah. not that common. There, they've replaced pretty much... Four-way stops Stops don't exist. Well... It's it's almost entirely roundabouts. Roundabouts make more sense. 
they make a lot more sense. It's constant motion. Yep. Constant motion. But And some people are just like, what what do we do? We were a little confused yeah. at first, but Hell, that happens here. I've I've been at a roundabout here in this city because there you'll you'll get little roundabouts on side streets. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, occasion, that's right. Occasion, yep. And people panic. And now they're not nearly as complicated because you kind of treat them like a four way stop. But uh yeah, the the idea of like maybe like the constant motion just throws people off. It is scary. It's a little scary. Well, the first the, the first couple of times we hit roundabouts when we were in Ireland, we were like, uh okay, cuz you know you're as an American, you know, as an American driver who maybe has not even had to use a or you know, experience using a roundabout. It's it's a it's a little intimidating, you know? But like I said, they make more sense. Roundabouts make more sense than four-way stops. You know what the scariest roundabout in the world is? The one uh, when you follow the Champs-Élysées and up to the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. That's the scariest one? It's, scary. it's mass. Like, it's it's basically one giant roundabout right around. You've seen pictures, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, being there, it's very scary. And I've literally watched people. It's like, I don't know, four or five lanes of traffic. Good and I've watched Lord. People, I've watched people sprint through it to get to the Arc de Triomphe. And obviously, you can go to the Arc de Triomphe. There's crosswalks and everything, but people have just run out in traffic. Jeez, it's bonkers, bonkers. All right, all right. We got more uh, things that uh, foreigners do in different countries that annoy the locals. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number if you would like to uh, join us. Okay, let's uh, do a little weather here, and then we'll come back and uh and talk more about uh, some of these uh things that foreigners do in countries that annoy the the locals. Yeah. Hello, good morning. 312-981-7200. That's our phone number. Live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. It is Wednesday morning, so at 3.30 we're going to play a round of Know Your Onion. So first two callers through will be our contestants. And Tom will read a news headline, and you will try and figure out whether it's real or it's from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. And that's all coming up here on uh, WGN. We're here till 4. At 4 o'clock we head over to Bradley Place on the TV side of WGN, get an hour's worth of entertainment, news, and all that kind of stuff from them. And then the great Bob Surratt starts at 5 o'clock. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. We're talking about uh, things that countries are, are, are uh, revealing the most annoying things that foreigners do when they visit. And uh, according to this article, here's uh, here's what they do in, uh, in the, when they talk to some people in the USA. USA say that uh, the most annoying thing is gawking at the Pennsylvania Dutch. Alice Vickerman, self-proclaimed Midwestern American says that it's rude when tourists come and gawk at the Amish. Uh, Amish do not wish to be photographed, so if you tour an Amish area, do not take photographs unless you have explicit permission and don't gawk at them. All right. Let's see. Here's uh, Fred on WGN. Hey, Fred. Hi. Uh, I spent about three weeks in Japan, and I had some eel. But it basically tasted like barbecue sauce because they put so much on it. But when I got down to the end, I politely scraped most of it off, and it just tasted like fish. Yeah, just like regular fish. Yeah, but it was interesting. Anyway, on the train, I uh, all the high-speed trains, most of the seats are reserved. I uh, transposed the 
car number and the seat number and ended up sitting in the wrong seat one time. And, of course, the passengers and most of the people in general don't speak much English, but the people are, you know, talking among themselves and looking at me and whatnot, and not just because I got gray hair. But anyway, eventually they call the conductor over, and he knows two words, uh, ticket and please in English. So, of course, when he said ticket, I pulled the ticket out, and then he points and motions for me to go up a couple of cars. I sat in, like, car seven, seat nine, and I should have been in seat nine, car seven, you know. Yeah. But, no, but, you know, I didn't get in any big hassle. It's just one of those oddball things that people do. Yeah. And uh, if you're walking around over there and, you, and you're, you know, the average size male, if you're gonna if you're tall, you're gonna be conspicuous anyway. But if you're just sort of average size, you want to have black pants and white shirts because that's like the male uniform from one end of the other of Japan, and especially on work days. So one day I'm in the railroad station as usual. I see this guy. He's got the reverse. He's got a black shirt and white pants. So, you know, I'm not going to go right up to him and start staring at him, and I know I can't talk to him. So I stood back a little bit, and then he turned. He's carrying a musical instrument case. So that was his uh, claim to fame. He's going to just, you know, completely rebel. <laughs> yeah. Wow, there you go. All right. That's a great, great stories, Fred. Thank you for the call. Okay, I got one other quick thing. I think that thing about the showing of the bottoms of your shoes is in Thailand. And if it isn't there, then it's Arab countries in general. Uh, okay. Okay, have a good night. Okay, thanks, Fred. That happened in Thailand? I never got to go to Thailand. Oh, I thought you went to Thailand, too. No. No, I was. I meant that Like I was talking about... Um, Saute like it's served in places like, oh, Thai. like okay. if you get All Thai right. food, you could okay. probably get Thai food here. You could probably get saute. Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Um. All right, a couple of more uh, stories about countries that don't like what uh, some foreigners do in Croatia. They taking selfies at the Plitvice lakes. Maja Burizin says that despite tourists getting repeated warnings about taking selfies at Plitvice Lakes National Park, they do it anyway. It's been it's it's more dangerous than annoying. Several people have died or have been injured while taking selfies on or near the cliffs. No photo is worth risking your life. I I, I got to say, uh, Tom, I, I I have never understood the selfie thing. I've never. I just I don't I don't get it. You know, you don't like to take a little little snap. I never take. I know. I don't. I don't think I've ever taken a selfie. You've never gotten up in the morning and thought, "Wow, oh, I look really cute today." Wait, no. I can tell you when I have. Um, when it was two thousand thirteen, two thousand thirteen. Um, I grew my playoff beard for the for the season, and I looked like a lunatic. Like it was like <laughs> it was it was. I just hadn't shaved shaved the whole time, despite the fact that it was a shortened season. But um, so I took uh, selfies as I shaved off my beard. And then um, as I shaved off my beard, I, I periodically took a selfie, you know, when I had different kinds of weird facial hair that was left. 
and um, I I did take a picture of, of me with just the mustache, and it was the most ridiculous mustache ever because it was I had so much hair on my face. So I periodically was taking pictures as I was gradually shaving, uh, shaving the beard, the playoff beard, and it was in 2013 because I grew I, I I grew playoff beards every time they ran every time they got into the playoffs. Uh, but the 2000 for some reason the 2013 beard was the nuttiest. That's the one where I look like a complete lunatic. So, but yeah, that's that's one of the only times I've ever taken a selfie was because I wanted to document um, the weird facial hair that was left as I was gradually shaving. The mustache was insane. It was just like, like a giant ridiculous mustache, like a Chef Boyardee. No, 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 like a big puffy crazy. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Um. Here's Mike on WGNA, Mike. Yeah, hi there. Um, I've been to a few countries around the world. I was in the U.S. Navy many years ago. I've never been to South America, but I read something once that I haven't forgotten. Uh, it's the oddest thing. Here, when you give somebody the okay sign with your, you know, your hand making yeah. like a circle and your... In Brazil, I believe it is, that is the equivalent of somebody here giving you the finger. Oh, is that right? You're offended by it. I read that somewhere, and I, I've never forgotten. It's like a, I, somebody else must have heard of that. Or shit, I've never been to South America, but that, that's what I've heard. That's what they say, that the okay sign is actually like flipping somebody off. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Isn't it? Cultures are, right. so, I mean, our cult, cultures are so fascinating, man, and the differences between cultures, it's, uh, it's really fascinating. Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, sure, you bet. Okay, buddy. So don't do the okay sign in South America. Tom, next time you go. I'll try not to. All right. Finally, New Zealand, assuming no one can hear you, annoys people. According to T. Uh, Waki Pai, who resides in New Zealand, a lot of foreigners assume that locals only understand English and will trash talk loudly. He says that Kiwis are increasingly multilingual. And that you can uh, be from any obscure place in the world, and the next person on the bus is of a different race, you might actually understand their rant. And please, don't air your personal dirty laundry in public. (laughs) Do they speak Elvish? They should, right? Now you're just being rude. (laughs) Come on, man. I would love to go to New Zealand, because they still have the Shire up. They do. I would love to go to the Shire. Yeah. That would be awesome. They got the houses and stuff you can go into. Yeah, in, in the uh, in the actual, like, hills. Yeah. You know who went to, to the Shire? Was my uh, my future ex-wife, the lovely Dana Lorenzo. Of course she did. Because that's where they filmed Ash vs. Evil Dead. It was in, New, was in Zealand. New Zealand. They filmed it in New Zealand. And um, the the company, the Tappert's company, come, is out of New Zealand. That's also where they filmed... Um, why am I blanking? Lucy Lawless, um, Xena. Oh, Xena. Yep, yep, yep. Xena, so, Warrior Princess. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. So uh, let's take a break here on WGN. Hello. <laughs> Hope that woke you up. How you doing? Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio. Here till uh, 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, we go over to Bradley Place. Our good friends at the TV side of WGN get some great news and information from those guys. And then back here at 5 for the great Bob Surratt. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. 
Uh, coming up at 3.30, we're going to play a, a round of Know Your Onion. So know your onion. First two people through will be our contestants, and um, Tom will read some news headlines, and you have to figure out whether they're real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. And uh, if you get them all, if you get them right, hey, prize. Prize. 312-981-7200 is a phone number, and uh, we're going to be talking about um, some weird and wonderful uh, celebrity items that were auctioned off. Because you can buy Christopher Reeve's Superman cape now. There's been no shortage of memorabilia from the Superman film franchise starring Christopher Reeve, but a new item being offered by Julian's Auctions could be considered a cut above the other film props. It's the cape worn by Reeve for sequences in the Superman movies, and it could fetch up to $40,000 at auction. The cape appeared in 1978 Superman the movie, 1980 Superman 2, and possibly 1983 Superman 3. According to Julian's auctions, the trademark red cape was used to film Reeve while he was mounted on a wireless harness for both blue screen and front projection work to make it appear as though he was flying. Slits in the fabric accommodated the wires. There were also pockets at the bottom of the cape so rods could be inserted to make it seem as though it was flapping in the air. The auction is currently taking bids, and it runs through July 17th. Julian's auctions estimates estimates the cape could sell for between 20000 and 40000 The auction house is also offering a space suit from 1968's 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is going between $200,000 and $300,000. A Pontiac Firebird Trans Am used for appearances as Kit from the Knight Rider, which is going uh, between $100,000 and $200,000. And hazmat suits worn by Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul in Breaking Bad between $500 and $2,000. So those are just some of the other some of the things that have gone off at auctions. If you've got an auction story and you want to jump in, if you ever won anything at an auction, and then we're going to go through some just some very strange celebrity uh, items that went for auction. Here's Bill on WGN. Hi, Bill. Yeah, uh, back when I was about eighteen years old, I was in Indiana, and I was raised on a farm, and I went to farm auctions. There were these auctioneers who were friends of the family and used to go help them yeah. set stuff up. Yeah. Well, one day I was at the auction. The auction was kind of going kind of slow. And a friend of mine came in and yelled at me, and I wasn't paying attention to the auction, and there was a big bucket of nothing but five-gallon bucket of bolts and nuts and washers and all that kind of stuff going for sale. And I heard him say, 450, do I hear five? Well, this friend of mine yelled at me at, this, at, at that time, and I instead of yelling back, I just waved. Well, the auctioneer oh. said, I got five, I got five, I got five, sold the bill for five dollars. Oh. <laughs> That's really funny, Bill. I mean, it, it, was, it was set up. I mean, you know, he, yeah. it was probably set up, but I mean, I, I still honor the part. That's I funny. Because the guy selling his farm, you know, family was selling it. That's funny. But, <laughs> All right. Okay, so Bill. That, that's one of the weird things you can buy if you don't yeah. if you never wave at anybody when you're in an auction. No, no. Yeah. I would not yeah. even. If I were in an auction, I wouldn't even move. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so. yeah, right. All right, Bill. Thanks. A bucket of bolts. A, you ever liter- see the, a literal bucket of bolts. You ever see the very first episode of Sanford and Son? I don't think I have. Very first episode of Sanford and Son. Um, they've got this item that they found, that uh, that Lamont found, and they brought it in to be auctioned off to make as much money from it as possible. And so um, Lamont and Fred are both in the, in the uh, audience at the auction. And Lamont... He's bidding on the item himself in order to, to raise the in order to raise the the price, and so uh, Fred starts doing it, and um, 
he raises, he keeps making facial facial moves and stuff like that because you know they, you can do a wink, you can do something like that at an auction, and they end up uh, buying the item back for about ten times what they <laughs> they had for because Fred just kept um, he just kept bidding. <laughs> Here's Dan on WGN. Hey Dan. Hey, I want four different ex police cars at the DuPage Mayors and Managers Association auction, and this was back in like two to three years after the cop cars were uh, retired. Uh huh. The best one was my 1996 Chevy Impala ex police car. Uh, just like in the Blues Brothers, it had top engine, right, heavier right. duty engine, transmission, oil coolers, Did suspension. Got, got cop suspension, and cop brakes, cop. <laughs> I had I had to push it to the limit one time just to see. I took the car over 120 miles an hour. Wow. Because I would not exactly do that now because I got lucky and fortunate that the real cops didn't come yeah, after me. Yeah, yeah, you got lucky, all right. Okay, Dan, thanks. Uh, I had that, and I had the uh, second best one was a 1990 Chevy uh, Caprice ex-police car, state police car. Yeah. That one still had the the uh, oscillating headlights when I bought it, and I was young and a little bit crazier. I used to sit my car up on the uh, toll road, because this is back when the state police used to put a dummy car with a smoky bear on right, the toll road. Right, right, right. So since mine had no markings, I used to sit, especially on I-88, just past the York Road Toll Plaza. And when somebody would go flying by, I used to run in right behind them and point to the passenger side. i put the uh, oscillating lights on, and as uh, they would pull over, I'd pull up next to them, look at them, laugh, and I'd rock it away. But uh, last but not least, that 90, uh, the police were doing the roadside sobriety uh, check yeah. on the uh, Villa Park uh, where around 38 turns into a villa park, I decided I know people who were in law enforcement, so I decided to try this, and it worked. As I'm cruising along, I put the car in neutral. It had a uh, cop 350, and I'm revving up the engine, which had some real thrust power in the exhaust. The car is still cruising. I'm revving up the engine. I activated my uh, oscillating lights. He motioned everybody else to pull over to the right. He pointed to me, you go right through. So that one worked. And again, I would never try that again. Yeah, I wouldn't like either. It. That sounds crazy, Dan. <laughs> and personally, the police is a very serious job. Yeah, it I certainly is. <laughs> family members that were in law enforcement at the time that shook their left finger. You know, yeah, no, you can't do that, Dan. That's not, you can't do that. <laughs> but. That was when I was much younger, so yeah. it's uh All right. I okay, got away Dan. with it once, never again. Okay, thanks, Dan. Boy. That's some dangerous crap that he's doing right there. I mean, I hope the hope the statute of limitations is passed, man. Fifty thousand yeah. watts. Yeah, man. Dangerous look down upon stuff right there. Okay, um, we're going to get back to the conversation about weird and wonderful celebrity items that have been auctioned off. There's some very strange stuff here in this article. And if you want to join us, if you have an auction story or something that you got up in an auction, 312-981-7200, 312-981-7200. Hello, Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio here till 4 o'clock. And uh, we've got another round of Know Your Onion coming up at uh, 3.30. First two uh, listeners calling in 
will be our contestants, and Tom will uh, read you some news headlines, and you have to decide whether they're real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. All right, we're talking about some weird and crazy items uh, that were uh, auctioned off at celebrity auctions. Um, Lady Gaga's teacup and saucer. Uh, a, a China teacup stamped with Lady Gaga's lipstick kiss and matching saucer sold for $75,000, $75,137.50 at a charity auction in May of 2012 to help artists in Japan after the earthquake and tsunami had devastated parts of the country the previous year. The teacup went to an anonymous lucky bidder, was also inscribed with words translated to prayers for Japan. It was used by Lady Gaga during a Tokyo press conference three months after the disaster. So a teacup in uh, Britney Spears gum. Uh, back when Britney was the biggest thing in pop since Madonna, fans were willing to pay serious money for anything that she'd been in contact with. That includes a piece of used chewing gum, which was listed on eBay in 2004. However, the listing was taken down because the seller who retrieved the gum outside London's Sanderson Hotel Use Spears' DNA as the main selling point, which was deemed to uh, contravene uh, the eBay's human body parts and remains policy. Uh, A few tweaks in the wording later, and the listing was live again. How about this? Britney's used pregnancy test. Uh, If you think buying Britney's discarded chewing gum is dubious... Wait until you hear this. Her used positive pregnancy test, which was found in the wastebasket of the hotel room where she and then-husband Kevin Federline spent the night, was initially sold to a Canadian radio station, Hot 89.9, and then bought by an online casino, GoldenPalace.com, for $5,001. Proceeds of the sale went to two charities, the Candlelighters Childhood Cancer Foundation, which provides support for children with cancer and their families, and the Easter Seal Society, which helps children with physical disabilities. A used pregnancy test. People are nuts. <laughs> oh, man. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Here's Doc on WGN. Go ahead, Doc. Hey, Nick. Uh, hey, I got some Superman auction trivia for you. Uh, I went to the annual Metropolis celebration for several years in a row. In fact, I think I told you the night I met Margot Kidder yeah. was at a Superman auction. And I had taken a, I had a framed photograph of Christopher Reeve standing in front of American flag, autographed, framed and matted. I paid like 140 for it, and uh, it went for 435 bucks. Wow. But that was a rare case of somebody alive that could no longer sign autographs. Oh, sure. But the uh, the guy that owns the Superman Museum down there, Jim Hambrick, he has all kinds of firsthand artifacts from the all the different series and stuff. So he would always have a cape. You know, when you say the cape, there's obviously more than one cape. Yeah. But I saw a couple of guys from France bought one. I think they paid twenty grand for it. They, they couldn't have been more excited. They took turns tying it around their neck and <laughs> running around the ballroom so it would fly. But Julian's auction sold a Superman cape, cape last December for 193000 And Julian's is out of Beverly Hills. Right. They're always selling people's collections and stuff. But the provenance on that particular one, the original movie came out in 78. Right. In 79, Warner Brothers had a contest 
put a whole bunch of questions out there. You're supposed to send answers in on a postcard, and I think only about a dozen people got them all right. They put those in a hat through one winner. So the person who won that had that, that cape for 40 years, and that was sold last December for 193000 Wow. Yeah. Wow. But I think two, twenty grand is like the starting price for, for one worn in, in one of the movies. But there was a case when, uh, uh, in 2007, somebody bought an entire uh, costume of Christopher Reeves for like 115 grand. And then somebody else paid about 175 grand for one worn in Superman three, and it just so happens the rarest are the there were uh, charcoal black and brown costumes worn by George Reeves, sure, uh, because he was a, a known alcoholic and uh, he had you know they weren't handing him a fresh suit every day and it was kind of a woven wool suit and it would stink and whatever. At the end of every season, he would snip the S off, usually take it to a hospital, give it to a sick kid, and then go home and burn the rest of the costume. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. You should maybe maybe talk to this guy. is Jim Hambrick that's, that, that owns the Superman Museum in Metropolis. Yeah. And he grew up in California, and he got a lunchbox when he's five. When he was 10, neighbor kids from his school were paying to see his collection. And and the Superman before George Reeves was Kirk Allen, and he was Kirk Allen's manager for like eight years. Wow. And he would have some stories. Yeah, I bet. I and bet. the Kirk Allen ones were, were in black and white, and like and also uh, they were animated. So like Kirk Allen would run and jump, and then it would switch to cartoon, and the cartoon Superman would fly around, and then maybe the cartoon Superman was going to come and land on a car, and the animation stop would stop, and there'd be Kirk Allen rocking back and forth on top of the car. But most people think the first one was George Reeves. It was really a guy named Kirk Allen. Oh, wow. All yeah. right. You got a lot of Superman knowledge, Doc. Uh, man, I collected it for about, uh, I don't know, 20 years. Because I had to go to Metropolis, Illinois when I was a mystery shopper, and I had to go in there and buy, buy chicken at the KFC. And anytime I had a Superman shirt on, little kids would go, Hey, mommy, it's Superman. Yeah, and then I got a Superman tattoo, but the annual Superman celebration. And we got married in Superman jerseys in Niagara Falls, uh, and I've been written up in the paper in Metropolis. But the annual Superman celebration is the second full weekend in June. And I think it got obviously got canceled this year, right? But you can find fanatics from all over the world. Yeah, I bet. I, and I, I met this guy. He named his kid Cal. K A L. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was. Uh, Kal-El was Superman's right. name on, on Krypton. Right. So, uh, but you should really see the fanatics. And they have costume costume contests. You'll see them from 2 to 92 wearing Superman costumes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, AAA called it the best small-town tourist attraction in America. And it runs for about a week, but Saturday night is the annual auction. And uh, just people going to, uh, you know, going to Metropolis to visit the thing can bring items, and now you pay 10 or 20% if, if your stuff sells. Yeah. But then the guy from that museum, his collection's valued at $3 million. Jeez. And there's a couple of other, there's a guy in New York, Danny Fuchs, that uh, he has a house next to his house for his Superman collection. Oh, my God. There's there's two or three other collector, collectors that are multi-million million dollar. Wow. That's crazy. I, I didn't, yeah, I, yeah. Got, I got out of it. I got out. I saved some of it, but uh, 
I did five to nine hundred a week for six months on Good. eBay. Oh my, getting rid of God. mine. Oh my God! Wow. All right. Well, yeah. Doc, thanks, man. Okay. Have a good morning. All right. Everything you need to know about uh, Metropolis. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder if Doc, if we could get him in a room with Jerry Seinfeld, talk about oh, Superman. Superman. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. Here's another weird item that was uh, celebrity related that went up on auction. J- Justin Bieber's snake. One of the most controversial celebrity auction items came from Justin Bieber. Only a year after his baby boa constrictor Johnson enjoyed the limelight on the MTV Music Awards red carpet in 2011, Biebs put the scaly pet up for auction at a charity uh, event. The winning bidder, a devoted animal lover, had plenty to say about Bieber's decision to use a pet for an award ceremony uh, and then get rid of it. I found it really disgusting that celebrities like Bieber would stoop to a level of using live creatures as a fashion accessory and then so easily discard it, uh, Michael Kronick uh, told E! News. But it all ended well for Johnson. Kronick donated him to a zoo to be cared for in a right way uh, with not a red carpet in sight. Bieber. The Biebs. How about uh, Scarlett Johansson's snotty tissue? Oh, God. Get a grip, America. What? If you think buying John Lennon's tooth is weird, well, uh, how about Scarlett Johansson? Uh, Scarlett Johansson's music, or uh, uh, mucus. Both a, are equally disgusting. A tissue ScarJo blew her nose into on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno in 2008 attracted more than 80 bids at a silent auction. It eventually sold for $5,300 on eBay, with the funds going to a hunger charity, uh, U.S. Harvest. That's not so bad. Reportedly, uh, Johansson gave Leno credit for the donation. She told him she had caught a cold from him and believed her illness had more value as it was been passed from one celebrity to another. (laughs) It was pretty low on the rung of celebrities I'd like to catch a cold from. Jay Leno. Yeah. Jay Leno. The Crimson Chin. You gotta love the Leinster. Is, is, is that what no. they call him? No. Is the Leinster? <laughs> that's, what, that's what I call him. Well, I... Because he and I go way back. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Been collecting cars a long time? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if by some small miracle he does the overnight circuit, you yeah. know, we'll get him on. We'll get the Leinster in, and you can call him the Leinster to his face. Good old Lent to his chin. Good old Leinster. <laughs> okay. Hey, the phone lines are open. First two listeners in uh, will be our contestants for another round of Know Your Onion. 312-981-7200. Call right now. Phone lines are open. First two listeners in. You are our contestant for another edition of Know Your Onion. 312-981-7200. Uh, Tom is your host, and he will uh, read a news headline, and you have to decide whether it is real or it is from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. It's that simple. Phone lines are open. First two people through will be our contestants. 312-981-7200. Call right now. 312-981-7200. And we will have our uh, Know Your Onion. We've still got a line open here. We still got uh, we we're getting one contestant here so far, but we need another one. So three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. All right, and we'll play the game after this. 
Hey, Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio here till 4 o'clock. Uh, we've got the um, early morning news uh, on the TV side coming up at 4, and then at 5 o'clock, Bob Surratt for a Wednesday morning. Uh, um, we are off on uh, Friday morning, Thursday night into Friday morning, so we're going to do our regular Friday features um, tomorrow on the show. So um, if you want to be a part of that, we'll tell you in a little bit. Well, right now... It's time for another edition of Know Your Onion. This is when Tom is your host. We have two contestants lined up. They're all ready to go. And uh, what happens is Tom will read some uh, news headlines, and you have to decide whether they are real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. Okay, uh, Tom, are we ready to start? It's time to Know Your Onion! finest band in game show history <laughs> it is know your onion and um and uh tom is your host and we know how the game is played are we ready to start tom let's do this all right here's john on wgn john are you familiar with the onion yeah yep i heard it okay there you go so all you got to do is figure out whether these news headlines are real or from the onion if you get the majority of them right you win it's that simple okay okay works right. for me here we go let's get started All right, John, your first headline. Eau de Space Perfume replicates the scent of outer space. Is that real or is that the onion? I think that's the onion. Let's see. No, no, that's real? That's real. Eau de Space. What? Uh, Based on the smell of outer space, recreated from various natural flavors and ingredients for the food and beverage industry, and verified by multiple astronauts who describe the experience of smelling space as strong and unique, and nothing like anything that has been smelled on Earth. Eau de Space translates the cosmos into a perfume. That's so weird. Yeah. We have to ask Rod Pyle about that. Yeah, what does space smell like? Wow. All right. Well, you got one wrong, John. Let's try again. All All right. right. John, your next headline. Staples Center employee realizes he left the shot clock buzzer on this whole time. Is that real or is that the onion? That's real. Let's see. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Uh, that's so, a no, John. That's a no. So that's that's the uh, onion. That is the onion. That's the onion. Okay, uh, you're 0 for 2. You can't get another one wrong, John. Oh, well. All right, here we go. <laughs> All right, John, your next headline. World Health Organization warns that COVID-19 could mean the end to blowing water through a pool noodle into your friends' faces. Is that real or is that the onion? That's got to be the onion. Let's see. Oh, I like that. Very good, John. That is the onion. That's the onion. All right. It is one of my favorite pool time ac- uh, activities. Sure, sure. All right. Good, de- good, good job. You still got to get the next two right to be a winner, John. Okay, John. Your next headline: Canadian Tire temporarily uh, temporarily closed after every item scanned comes up as Mister Potato Head. Is that real or is that the onion? I'm gonna go real. Let's see. Shall we? 
very That's good. Real? That is a real headline. Canadian Tire temporarily closed after every item scan comes up as Mr. Potato Head. Customers at the Canadian Tire store in Lindsay left empty-handed this morning. Uh, 411 News has learned that every item scanned this morning was coming up as Mr. Potato Head and could not be changed. No sales were being made and customers were forced to leave empty-handed, according to witnesses. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I agree with you. It's ridiculous. <laughs> All right, John. All right, this could be the comeback. This is it right here. If you get this right, you, you, you're a winner, man, and, and it's a great come-from-behind victory. All right, John. Your final headline. The rumors are true. Stouffer's is creating a tap that dispenses mac and cheese. Is that real or is that the onion? I'm going to go real. Let's see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read about this. Nice. Possibly the finest invention of all time. Yes, that's right. John, you are correct. Stouffer's is creating a tap that dispenses mac and cheese. Though 2020 has been a pretty crappy year for restaurants, you'd have to think that it hasn't been quite so bad for frozen food, uh, a frozen food brand like Stouffer's. Mac on Tap features an internal heating system that keeps pre-cooked Stouffer's mac and cheese warm enough to serve and eat. It's like a hybrid between draft beer and the nacho cheese dispenser you'd see at a movie theater or convenience store, except each pull of the handle pushes out mac and cheese. It's the best thing ever. It's the best thing ever. I saw a picture of it, too. It's outstanding. John, congratulations. Great. Yeah, you're a winner, John. So you got a $75 gift certificate from... uh, Green Tea Home Services, while you're spending so much time at home, take advantage of Green Tea Carpet Cleaning Service, Air Duct Purification, or Garage Door Maintenance. Call 805-GREEN-TEA or go to greenteaservices.com. Congratulations, John. Hold the line, okay? All right, thank you. All right, like Toto. All right, um, we ready for contestant number two? Absolutely. Okay, this is Bob on WGN. Hi, Bob. How are you doing? All right, you familiar with The Onion? Yes, sir. Okay, let's do this. Tom, you ready? All right, Bob, your first headline here. Man found dead in cemetery Monday. Is that real or is that the onion? Man found that's dead real. in cemetery that's, Monday. That's real. Let's see. Woo-hoo! Very good. <laughs> that, is, that is a real headline. <laughs> Just one man? Small cemetery? What's yeah. going on? Uh, on Monday, June 29th, Warrenton police officers responded to the area of South Chestnut Street in reference to a report of a deceased man found with upper body trauma in the local cemetery. Police do not know whether the trauma was self-inflicted or not, and the cause of death is unknown. The investigation is still ongoing. Wow. Yes. Right. A man found dead in a cemetery. There you go. <laughs> Bob, good job. You know what they say about the Warrington Cemetery, Bob? Uh, People are just dying to get in. Oh, come on. Hey. Hello. All right. Good morning. What's next? All right. Next up, Bob, your headline, IBM condemns use of facial recognition software for anything other than matching people with their celebrity doppelganger. Is that real or is that the onion? Onion. Let's see. Excellent. Nice. That's that's funny. I like that. That's a, that's funny. Hey, Bob, nice job, man. Two in a row, one more, and you're sweeping it. We'll see. All right, here we go. All right, Bob, your next headline. Sheriff's office searching for a person who slapped zebra on video. Is that real or is that the onion? 
Say it again, Tom. Sure thing. Sheriff's office searching for person who slapped zebra on video. Is that real or is that the onion? That's real. Let's see. That. Oh, big sweep. Big nice sweep. job, Bob. Three in a row, man. You just tore through them. The only one I got wrong was the space one. Oh, that uh, you were playing along with the space one? Yeah, no, no. I, I, yeah, I thought it was the uh, the onion, but I, I couldn't believe it was real. Yeah, there you go. All right, all right. We'll go ahead, Tom. Yeah. What, 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 okay. Oh, yeah, Bob. You you got your seventy five dollar gift certificate to Green Tea Home Services. Uh, while you're uh, spending so much time at home, take advantage of green tea carpet cleaning service, air duct purification, or garage door maintenance. You can call 800-5-GREEN-TEA or go to greenteaservices.com. Hold the line, Bob, okay? Thank you, sir. All right, there you go. Two winners. Two winners this morning. Ah, uh, yes. So uh, there you go. We'll do it again next week. And, uh, in, and meanwhile, know your onion. And if you know your onion, you could win. That's how it works right here in WGN. <laughs> White Snake. <laughs> Who is this? Oh, it's Starship. All right. I always keep thinking it's Survivor for some reason, and I don't know why, until I hear Mickey Thomas start singing. Uh, it's Nick DeGilio on uh, 720 WGN. Uh, we're here till uh, 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, we've got... Uh, the uh, early morning news from the TV side of WGN, those lovely people. And then at 5 o'clock, the legendary Bob Surratt for your morning drive. Um, yeah, and we're here, by the way, 24-7 for you to keep you informed, to keep you company, and to keep you going. Um, all right. Uh, we've been talking about some weird and uh, wonderful celebrity items that have actually been auctioned off for real. Uh, so let's get back to that. Elvis Presley's Bible. Elvis Presley's Bible. Um, this is a, a no great surprise. In 2012, the King's Bible sold at auction for $94,000. $94,000. This was in Manchester, England. However, his unwashed underpants didn't have the same appeal. They were also put up for auction with a reserve price of $11,000, but bidding only reached 8000 so nobody got their hands on Elvis's smalls. $94,000 for Elvis's Bible. Unwashed underpants. Come on. Okay. How about this? Justin Timberlake's French toast. <laughs> the year 2000 will be remembered for MTV Cribs, the must-have Nokia 3310. You ever watch Cribs, Tom? Um, I love Cribs. I do, too. It's an awesome show. I've got this app called Pluto TV, and it's created by Viacom, so they have all the... Oh, they have all the episodes of Cribs? Well, it's just one single 24-hour stream of nonstop Cribs. That's pretty great. Yeah. My favorite one that I remember, my favorite, Ice Tea. Ice T's got a great. It's one. a great Cribs episode. I'm gonna say my favorite to watch is still Shaq. Shaq is great because he's got the he's got an obsession with Superman too. Yeah. yeah, he does. So he's got all the Superman stuff, and he shows you like his size 25 Jordans or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nuts. Uh, the must-have Nokia 3310. The nuptials of the nuptials of Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. You remember when they were a couple? 
<laughs> was Bra- what did Brad? No, did they have a, a name? Because you know Brad and Angelina was Bradgelina. I don't think they did have a name. They didn't. They got. I think that was before they started the name thing. Because mm. Brad Pitt was first. You know, like the, the celebrity women that he was with first. He was first with uh, Juliette Lewis. Really? Oh yeah, you didn't know that? No. You ever see the movie California with a K? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were going. Oh, okay. to, they were going together at that time. Wow. They were they were going steady. Yeah, no, it was and, and she, you know, when she was nominated for an Oscar for uh, uh, Natural the, Born the, Killers. No, the, no. Ter- the the terrible Scorsese movie remake. Um, oh, Cape Fear. Cape Fear. I'll leave it alone. It's terrible. It's the only movie I actively dislike by Scorsese. The only one. But anyway, she was. It was notorious because she she had her hair in cornrows at the Academy Awards. At the and and she went with Brad Pitt. So yeah, no, they dated, and then Brad Pitt. Well, who's he? And then it was uh, uh, who was after? Oh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Well, yeah, he's really picking winners here. They were in Seven together. Yes. What's in the box? In the box. And then, uh, then I guess that was that was uh, that's when he went with Aniston, and then he left mm-hmm. Aniston for uh, Angelina Andrew Jolie Julie. when they were making Mister and Mrs. Uh, Smith. Smith. Yeah. Which is a terrible movie. It was also the year that a piece of Justin Timberlake's half-eaten French toast was <laughs> was snapped up by a teen InSync fan on eBay for a thousand dollars and twenty worth one thousand twenty-five dollars. Oh my god! The fan from Madison, Wisconsin, planned to freeze dry the leftover and then seal it and put it on their dresser. Half-eaten French toast from Justin Timberlake. Wow. How about this? Willie Nelson's braids. Well, that's something I'd pay for. If you need more proof that collectors of celebrity memorabilia go wild for hair, country legend Willie Nelson's braids went for $37,000 to an anonymous bidder. Nelson originally cut off his signature braids, then colored red, and gave them to his friend Waylon Jennings in 1983. (laughs) To give this story even more country color, the gift was made at a party thrown by June and Johnny Cash to celebrate Jennings' sobriety. The sale was part of a 2014 auction of thousands of Jennings' possessions donated by his widow at the Museum of Musical Instruments in uh, his native Phoenix, Arizona. $37,000 for uh, Willie Nelson's braids. What a weird gift to give for someone's yeah. sobriety. Like, I mean, it is a momentous occasion. Yeah. Gifts should be given. Here's, here's and, my hair. Hey there, uh, Waylon. Yeah. I got something for you. That's jo- my hair. John Lennon's molar. Here's proof that diehard fans will pay big bucks for almost anything that once belonged to their idols. When John Lennon lost one of his molars in the 60s, he gave it to his housekeeper. What? Dorothy Dot Jarlett. And suggested she give it to her daughter, who was a huge fan of the Beatles. More than forty years later, in November of two thousand eleven, it was put up for auction and sold for thirty thirty one thousand two hundred dollars to Canadian Michael Zook, whom you could say has another interest in the item. He is a dentist, so a dentist paid thirty one thousand dollars for uh, John Lennon's molar. <laughs> People are weird, man. Would you want somebody's tooth? I don't think I'd want somebody's tooth. Uh, how about this? Katy Perry's trampoline. 
Of all the quirky props used by Katy Perry during her California Girls Tour, the cupcake trampoline is one of the most memorable. In 2011, Perry auctioned off the item on eBay to raise money for to aid the Japanese tsunami, contributing $5,000 to the cause. However, the lucky bidder had to wait several months until the tour was over to get their hands or feet on the new collectible. She should have auctioned off Left Shark. Or is it Right Shark? It was Left Shark. Yeah, Left Shark. Left Shark was the one that was <laughs> causing a firestorm. Oh, this one! This is a great one. Are you ready for this? You know, you know who you know who who, who ended up with this, right? Russell Crowe's jockstrap, Russell Crowe's leather jockstrap from Gladiator. Yeah, who who got that? Well, according to this, it's uh, it's John Oliver has it. They auctioned it, or did they auction it off? Yeah, I I know that John Oliver's involved in this. Russell Crowe's divorce auction gave the public an incredible opportunity to splash some cash on the actor's personal valuables and memorabilia, including the leather jockstrap that he wore in uh, Cinderella Man. That one sold for $6,500. And the breastplate that he wore in Gladiator, which was $117,000. Okay. However, the top seller was the 1960 painting The Suitor by Australian artist Charles Blackman, which fetched $337,000. In fact, the auction took place on April 7th, both Crow's birthday and what would have been his 15th wedding anniversary. Oh, no. Uh, so it, whether he had the auction to pay off his, or off his, the auction off his belongings to pay alimony is not known. But yeah, John Oliver's got the, I'm almost positive that John Oliver's got the jockstrap. Almost positive. I, I want to say, and I don't mean to put words in anybody's mouth, but I'm pretty sure he texted me once while we were on the air. Uh, Pete McMurray, I believe, has some athlete's jockstrap. Yes, he does. I cannot remember for the life of me. Yes, who, he does. Though. I can't remember either. But he yes, te- he, he texted me about yep. it, and and I was like, "You're crazy, man. I love you, but you're crazy." Yeah, I can't remember who it is, but that's true. Pete McMurray has a, a very famous uh, sports figure's jockstrap. <laughs> How about Madonna's racy messages? Ooh, in the. Uh, Early 90s, Madonna left saucy messages on then-boyfriend and former minder James Albright's answering machine. These, along with 21 faxed love letters, including lines like, Just watch the HBO special. It was okay. My booty looked good, and you should see how good it looks in person. It looks (laughs) bootyful. They were listed on the New York Gotta Have It auction website in 2009. Bidding for the answering machine tapes started at $25,000 and $3,000 for the faxed letters. According to Paul Fraser Collectibles, it's not certain whether the items were sold at this particular auction due to the confidential nature of the material, which could be viewed by appointment only. Oh, Madonna. Early 90s Madonna. Joan Rivers' dog bowl. After comedian Joan Rivers died at age 81 during a minor medical procedure in 2014, her possessions brought in a whopping $2.4 million at auction. Wow. Granted, it was no ordinary dog bowl. It was part Sif- Silver Tiffany and Company bowl engraved with the pooch name, and it fetched $14,000. So there you go. And it's her dog's name was Spike. So that's uh, engraved on the side of the t- silver bowl. <laughs> you know, I've never been to an auction, nor an estate auction or anything like that. I'd love to meet uh, an auctioneer and have him do... You know, the whole thing. The whole auction. Yeah. Sold American. That's from uh, His Girl Friday. 
<laughs> All right. Well, there it is. Um, and uh, we will be back uh, tomorrow. Stay tuned now for the uh, WGN Early Morning News on the TV side.